Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How do I record an episode? How do I get my show into all the apps people like to listen? How do I make money for my podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match with you great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. I use Anchor in a simple matter. I take my podcast episodes, edit them in Premiere, upload them to Anchor and schedule them and set my tags and my description, all that good stuff. Just sit back and let it distribute to all the platforms. It's very simple and very easy to use and very user-friendly. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast, make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start. That's anchor.fm slash start to join me and a diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Nobody can pay rent and exposure. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you want somebody to do it for free, well, you better have something you can offer in return. Hello, my frame chasers. It's Wednesday, and you already know what it is. A new episode of Chasing the Frame. Today, I'm with Vin DeSanti. Vin, how are you, man? Doing well. How are you doing, man? Dude, it's great. It's a great day to be alive. Yeah, yeah. So I agree. Before we get into the episode, I just have some take care of some housekeeping items that we have to do. So let's do that real quick, and then we'll get to it. Cool. So as, as you know, uh, t-shirts are on teespring.com slash stores slash chasing dash the dash frame. We got men's and women's hashtag frame chaser shirts in black with white lettering ranging from about $20 to about $25.99 for that tri-blend shirt. Crew neck and v-neck shirts are ready to rock and roll to your door today. And plus those crew neck and v-neck shirts are super duper soft. I swear to you, I love soft shirts and I like highly recommend these shirts. And even if you want to make a teespring store, go ahead. More power to you. Also, last bit of housekeeping, but we're going to try something different. And if you want to help out, help the show keep going, there are a few forms uh, of donations that you can do. Uh, we have. So, the paypal.me slash podcast, cash app jdemarco3. Also, we are accepting Litecoin and XPR donations on the YouTube, as you saw. So, we are keeping the good faith into cryptocurrency because, hey, it's the future. Let's be real about it. Plus, I don't need one whole Litecoin. I know like Litecoin right now is 70 bucks or some shit like that. And by the time this episode's aired, it's going to be more or less depending on what it is. So you don't need to send a whole thing or anything like that. Whatever's comfortable for you, whatever you want to send. I'm not asking for anything. I'm asking for some something, but you don't need to give. You can just listen and get the knowledge. That's all I really want to give you guys, knowledge. And that's what you guys should get. So, guys, let's get to it. Who's ready to chase frames today? So, Vin, first question I ask everyone on the podcast, where are you from originally? Originally, I'm from a town called Westport, Massachusetts. Like okay. On the south Shore, probably an hour south of Boston, but like 25 minutes east of Providence. Okay, I'm yeah, from so New Jersey. Up, oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Cool, cool. So, yeah, you know, Northeast Territory yeah, up yeah. there, you in the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not a Jets fan, are you? No, sir. I'm a Giants fan. Oh, well, I mean, okay, I guess. All right. Are you a, are you a Patriots fan? Of course, yeah. Oh, it's understandable. Okay, you know what? We're still friends. Don't worry. We don't like the you Jets. Still at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we. All right. 
we can't we can't talk crap on the Giants. No. I mean, what, what do we do? Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah. So I'm from there. Uh, I moved out to LA in 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, I graduated school in Worcester. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I, I moved out with my best friend, and yeah. I've just been working in the in the entertainment industry ever since. Now, the second question I ask everyone is, what was that first movie, TV show, actor, director, uh, writer, even if you like reading and stuff like that, poetry, whatever it is, that gave you that spark and you said, I want to do this? Wow. Um, you know, it came from a lot of different ways. I, mm-hmm. I just remember, like, one of the first films that had an impact on me was uh, Night of the Living Dead. Okay. Um, it was, like, a film that, like, you know, made me, like, I don't know. It actually really scared me. Yeah. Like it was one of the first films, like really scared me. I saw it really young. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw American Werewolf in London. Yeah. Um, but what actually made me want to get into filmmaking was when I started watching Friday the 13th. Okay. So Friday the 13th came usually with a rich um, amount of behind the scenes and yes. documentaries and things that have been made about it. Um, but it also has a rich history of having one of the, like, the worst continuity timelines in like the history of franchise cinema oh my god yes <laughs> so it was in kind of the curiosity of mm. why is the film so different yeah you know it's like what wh- how can they not know that in the third one he looked that way and now he looks like kind of weird in this one now yeah. he's way different in that one and even the second and, one too he looks weird <laughs> yeah i know from two you know yeah. from, from two three four i mean he changes his look changes drastically mm-hmm. You know, goes from the sack to the mask, and even the mask changes a little yeah. bit, and things change. And like, you know, he has like long black nails and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it was like weird, weird little inconsistencies that you would pick up on. It didn't yeah. stop me from enjoying the films, mm-hmm. but it just made me question. And I think it was when I started to ask those questions, the answers came in the form of, you know, my first insight yeah. into into what it took to make a film, who mm-hmm. a VFX supervisor was, who, yeah. you know, who a digital, you know, who a director was, mm-hmm. things like that. You know, and as I got older, I watched films like Jaws yeah. and Shawshank Redemption and, you know, great films that, yes. like, you know, stand the test of time. So, I mean, I started to really fall in love with it and kind of understand it more from a storytelling aspect at that yeah. point and kind of just fell in love with the film there. Well, how uh, how old, again, were you when you saw the Friday 13th stuff and, and that Night of the Living Dead? Ooh, I mean, so I always, I, I can't remember. I remember I was pretty young. I mean, I was not, I was under 10. Okay tell you that yeah, yeah i mean i was one of the kids who like i mean i was it, friday the 13th was eye level with me yeah <laughs> at one point on the shelf <laughs> and at the vhs place so it was ever since i saw that was when i've been obsessed with it okay the hockey map there's something about it that yeah. i was just like what is that i gotta see yeah um so you know probably like eight seven eight so so when you saw that like growing up were you like going around with your friends uh, making believe making movies and you know doing things of that nature were you were you like you know did you get a camcorder as a child like did you take any video production classes in high school things of that nature yeah so we i mean when i was growing up it was mostly like the handy cams that's that's the best you can get at Mm -hmm. home um so we had those and we did stupid things we i I used to watch uh syphil and ollie on uh mtv Mm -hmm. super late at night and it was a sock puppet show. Yeah. And so me and my friend used to make sock puppet shows. If we could do a video project for a class, we would go out and shoot scenes. Yeah. You know, it was all crazy. I mean, you know, Jackass was always like really big at that yeah, time. Yes, it so was. there was a lot of like, you know, filming like yeah. quote unquote stunts and stupid stuff like that. So we were definitely into that like, you know, mischief movie making, I'd yeah. say is more what it was. Um, and then when I went to college, I really wasn't even... Uh, film wasn't the first thing I went after. It was okay. actually journalism. Oh, um, 
So I wanted to be a journalist and I was at uh, Hofstra University. Nice. And I was there for a year. I know um, a few people who went to Hofstra. So this yeah. is a nice like six degrees of Kevin Bacon right here. I feel like. Yeah. See? Yeah. 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 So yeah, Hofstra was great. It was just really expensive. Um, and we weren't going to be able to afford, you know, three more yeah. years of it. So I moved home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to University of Rhode Island where I continued studying journalism. Yeah. Um, and while I was there, I kind of fell out of love with journalism. I just, yeah. I really wasn't getting out of it what I really wanted. Yeah. What did um, you want out of it though? Well, I, I wanted to get more into the video production side of yeah. it. I, you know, my whole thing, like I was convinced when I was that age that I was going to play major league baseball, retire and become an anchor. So I was like, I just, I want to get my anchor. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was like, that was like my big dream when I was a kid. Yeah. I wanted to go play. So here's the thing. I was from yeah. New England, but I wanted to play for the Yankees. Oh, and so wait, I wanted wait. to play and for the but Yankees. You're a Boston guy. Yeah, but I don't, I don't. I hate the Red Sox. That's funny. Right? My it's my so, my cousin's from New Jersey also, and he's a he's a Boston fan. So I'm like, that's that's. <laughs> yeah, see, see, there's some like we're like I don't know. It's weird. We just gravitate towards different teams. But <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. But I wasn't when I went to URI. I was getting more of the written, which I was really enjoying, and I did yeah. like to write. But there was no, you know, the closest thing we had to film was theater. Yeah, and, and so I took like one theater class, and I had a lot of fun with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I realized that, you know, I wanted to pursue something that was a little bit more video driven mm-hmm. and looked for another school that would have that. I yeah. ended up finding uh, Worcester State uh, College, okay. which uh, is now a university. Um, I guess after they put in that huge parking lot that like made our life a living hell, like now they get to be called a university because now <laughs> they have enough parking. But uh, yeah, I no, that... I went there and, and it was like, a, you know, compared to Hofstra, it yeah. was like just, a, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. And it, people weren't there. It wasn't as like... Um, competitive there mm-hmm. either yeah so getting into the equipment room and getting things that you needed for projects really wasn't that hard it was yeah. actually like you could just come here get the equipment take your time in in the avid or take your time with final cut and you know just kind of teach yourself yeah and so the classes were good they give you the rudimentary skills and i think it was just my love of film and kind of storytelling in general mm-hmm. that just you know the ability to you know as a journalist yeah. being able to write a story and being able to kind of craft of like the different points of view and how to neutralize the the point of view, which I felt that like a lot of times that when I was studying journalism, I saw how we were gravitating towards the sensationalism of it. Yeah, You kind of had to pick a side and write from that side rather than what I always thought journalism was, which was a neutral view down the center lane. And I it, think with film, it's something it that's being forgotten more, by the way, just to, I feel like it's seen, yeah. something being forgotten more on a national scale than a local scale, just to yeah. throw it out there. No, no, and that was definitely it. But, it, you know, so I was kind of, but even in like, in school, as I was like, we were researching it and like, you know, we weren't studying local. Yeah. We were studying all the big guys. So it was mm-hmm. kind of like, it, was, it really turned me away from it. Um, and I was like, I'd rather like be able to just tell my story. Yeah. And I kind of liked making things up too. So this was kind of fun. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I shifted over and, you know, we mostly did like documentary stuff at mm-hmm. that school just because of the tools that we had. But, you know, I take it and I kind of pushed our, our equipment to the limit, tried yeah. to do a couple of things. And then, yeah. And then after that, I, I graduated and <clears throat> there were no, um, no jobs in Massachusetts. Yeah. I, I had no connections. I knew nobody in any doing anything. So I was just working at a liquor store, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, carrying out wine for old ladies and, you know, doing what I could. And a buddy of mine mentioned that there was a job opening up in Los Angeles, uh, mm-hmm. somebody that I'd known since I grew up with. Uh, who was a, uh, he's actually a visual effects supervisor now. Oh, cool. So, um, yeah, so I went out and I interviewed for a production assistant position and ended up getting it. Yeah. 
so that, you know, so I had like basically three, four months to save up and get ready and, you know, moved out New Year's Day, 2008. And we start, I started working at a, a place called Digital Domain. Oh, nice. And I was a, P, yeah, I was a PA on a project called uh, Curious Case of Benjamin Button. So oh. we got to see the process of turning. Little project. Hit. Yeah, just a little, you know, a little project. Called, Nothing too uh, major. No, but I mean, you know, it was just like, it, it, it was, it's just crazy. It's like, that's like, for me, it was like such a big thing. So mm-hmm. I was working on a project, you know, Brad Pitt was, you know, came yeah. in like and did some acting, like some facial acting for it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was in the room when he got to see himself as an 80 year old man for the first time, <laughs> which was really cool. What was that reaction? Like? It was, he was just like really cool about yeah. it. He was just really impressed by the work and it was just, you know, I, my, I started in post, which is yeah. pretty funny. So I get my first view through everything was like the post side of it. Yeah. Um, after everything had been shot, but what, you know, getting an idea of what it's like to run a post house and things like mm. that. Um, then I worked in commercials for a while. Yeah. And then when I was working commercials, my out to that was when I started in like feature animation. Okay. Now, how, mm-hmm. how, how'd you, um, my, uh, I think what you said was, uh, you saved up three or four months before you moved to LA for the job. So they gave, they mm-hmm. had three, three or four months, like, okay, you can come like, they were cool with you wait, like waiting for you. Well, the job didn't open up until three or four months. Oh, okay. Like, gotcha. Perfect. Yeah. Bad. Like Sorry. I had like, I like interviewed in like October and they said, oh. listen, the job is going into like overtime time in okay. January. So through this spurt, we have like three months for you. Gotcha. And so I was like, okay. And then, and then they're like, and then at the end of the show, and then basically the way it worked, it was like at the end of the show, if there's another job for you to roll on to, mm. you'll go to that job. But there was no job. So I had to, gotcha. you know, <laughs> so you, it's like, it's pretty typical thing. It's like when you work show to show, mm-hmm. you got to keep finding your way. But I ended up getting hired at, like through a recommendation to the people I worked at, I ended up getting a job um, at a small production house called Radium. And mm. it was cool. It was commercial style. It was yeah. all post for, for commercials. But, you know, it was a small production studio and it was, you know, gave me, you know, the ability to live in LA yeah. and, uh, and just keep it going. And, you know search for the next opportunity and um and then then like go ahead i was say what was the atmosphere like you know being a guy from the east coast and moving to la like you know (laughs) what was that whole like you know was that a culture shock for you was that like oh okay this is different yeah Yeah, i know it's definitely a culture shock northeast is so like uptight and yeah (laughs) we're just all wound up and like always ready to go and and you know things move things move fast in la yeah but it, yeah, I mean, it was like the weather's nice, but then like you miss the seasons, and like mm-hmm. it goes back and forth. And I still pine for you know for New England and, yeah. and and for other places. I mean, I'd really like to. I mean, truthfully, like working, keep working in LA for a little bit. But you know, I think my my long term dream now is to find you know a state that is growing a film division, or yeah. you know, trying to get things going and trying to get productions there, and you know, using the knowledge that I've learned here to go help you know, another state looking to get at that level. Definitely. Um, you know, the ability yeah. to, to, to get there, bring in business, you know, shoot stuff, you know, and, you know, it's just like well run and, and, you know, give people confidence in the state to bring jobs there and mm-hmm. open up new markets. Definitely. And, and then when you went to commercial house, um, the commercial place, uh, what did you learn out of that? What were the valuable lessons? Cause you w- went from commercial in the post, <laughs> you said post, right. And then you go to digital yeah. for like, you know, animation. So that's mm-hmm. a, 180 also in itself right if I'm mistaken. yeah no it was you know it was I, I mean i was a pa there too and yeah. i worked in the in the shipping room i was, I was okay like, i was like a, basically a glorified mail clerk i was yeah. the shipping pa and so every time that we would create a tape and like at the time we were still on tape and yeah. we were still sending tapes all over town to get our stuff done so i'd either curry it 
mm-hmm. uh, courier it or um, but basically it was my job was like to label tapes and things like that. Believe it or not, it ended up working out really, really well for me in the long run, because yeah. when I started crowdfunding, all of the tips and tricks that I learned, like shipping packages of oh. media at that time of like how to get it organized, how to print labels fast, all those things like. I was like, shit, I know how to do this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a plus. That's a yeah, plus. so it ended up working out in the long run because a, a lot of my time is spent like fulfilling crowdfunding, yeah. you know, stuff that we do, which is, you know, the, the, which gives me the opportunity to make films. So yeah. it's like, it, it's weird. It's like you, you try to pick something up from every job, but yeah, there it was just, you know, when you, it's one thing to learn about something in school, but as you know, when you get into yeah. the job and you see the politics and you see the different the different positions working together to get things done. People have different skill sets, Mm -hmm. like just like how it's like, there's so many people involved to make even just a commercial. Yes. Um, And, you know, and and then like the places they come from and the way the business runs Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So there, yeah, it was a great like front row seat to it. I wasn't really participating, but I could at least take notes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so while I was there, that company kept growing and Mm -hmm. bought out by another company that was based out of Dallas and they wanted to make a feature length, uh, animated film okay because they had been doing service work for other other companies and i was you know a pa looking to become a coordinator yeah and yeah the, a position opened up on that job to take notes for meetings oh. and so i just volunteered i said i i want to do this all the other coordinators are busy with like we're full up in commercial jobs we're super busy mm-hmm. and i'm like listen i'm sitting around all day i have to wait all day for my packages to show up anyway i have these huge swaths of time where I can do stuff and I can only clean the window so many times. Yeah, let true. me go, <laughs> let me go take notes for this meeting. And if I do well, I'll stick. And if I don't, you can replace me. Like just give me a chance. Yeah. Well, here's and a question for you too. Were your windows mm-hmm. spotless at least? Yeah. I mean, we kept, we kept a clean, clean. I mean that again, another skill <laughs> learned yeah, yeah. is how like when you go and you learn how to take care of, of your studio, yeah, yeah. like it permeates them. Like literally like my, home fridge is stocked like a client fridge <laughs> like, <laughs> everything's lined up like it looks like it's like, it's like a presentation yeah. but it's like i don't know it's it's again it's even though when i write you know if i get to run my own studio one day yeah you know just the expectations of like when people come in like having a certain atmosphere and keeping it at a certain standard you know really kind of sets the mood and sets the tone and and we had a really good crew that way and mm. you know um and when I was offered this position and I had this opportunity, it was really cool. I ended up sitting in a room with uh, Ash Brannon, who yeah. was uh, at the time he'd just come off of directing Surf's Up. Um, he did Surf's Up. He did Toy Story Two. He was a he was oh, one wow. of the originals at Pixar. Okay. He was in for Toy Story One. He was uh, he's the guy who animated Woody. So wow. Woody was his character. Um, yeah, Ash is one of the brightest like people in animation that there is. Yeah, so yeah. like. He was very much on the independent circuit looking for a place to call his home so he mm-hmm. could get that, like, you know, kind of build that nice, like, let's just focus on the creative and yeah. try to keep the, the big business of it all kind of out of the, out of the, the peripheral. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was cool. So we worked with him, um, also uh, David Stern and John Strauss. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, David had worked on the Open Season series and then John had written something about Mary. Okay. Um, and the film was the star, uh, Owen Wilson and Woody Harrelson. So it was on a pretty good start. It's a pretty cool meeting room to be in. Yeah. That's, so, uh, did you yeah, feel so intimidated? Cool. Were you intimidated at all? Were you like, oh, no? I was nervous. Yeah, I nervous. was so nervous. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. at the time, it was like, you know, looking at it, how much I didn't know, I should have been even more nervous. Yeah. But, you know, it was one of those things where I always found that 
I do my best learning on, on my feet. Yeah. It's like throw me in the fire. I will figure it out mm-hmm. before you even realize that I don't know what I'm doing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, you know what I mean? It's yeah. Like, that's the way we have to do a lot. I mean, and, a lot of the times it's like your first time doing it. And there's, there's a quote I always say on the show. Um, it's like, you know, I take it from Danny DeVito's twins. You can't be all theory and no practice. Yeah. And that's what you're doing. And I'm definitely, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've learned to, to put a little bit more theory into my practice, but, <laughs> but I'm pretty good at just the straight up, you yeah. know, walking cold onto the court and just playing the game. And so, and I don't know, there's something about it that excites me when I do that too, because yeah. it kind of gets me really focused. Mm-hmm. And I was just, I just sat in and I, I did my job yeah. and I did it to the best of my ability. And when they gave me notes on how I could do it better, I improved. And yeah. You know, ultimately, like when you have that and you know how to be personal with people and you know how to communicate, like everything I learned in journalism and communication and, you know, all the communications classes that we take and all those different things. Like people really, I think, take for granted, like how important communication is, like just being able to talk to people and like, especially when it comes to like, you know, the things you don't want to hear. Yeah, definitely. People get, you know, it's like people don't know how to communicate in in those times. And it's like when you know how to like stay focused and like keep keep people focused, it, it can actually go a long way for you. And that was a good, um, that was a good skill of mine. Yeah. And so in these meeting rooms, I was able to kind of, once I got comfortable with everybody, mm. keep, keep the meeting moving and just keep people like, like stimulated in a way that we were always thinking about the task at hand, about yeah. the, the obstacle in the way, what's, what's stopping through us. We need to walk back and do we move the cart around. And be, constantly, just constantly challenging them in a healthy way, yeah. where where it was comfortable for them, and then I, you know, then eventually allowing to give input and mm-hmm. pitch ideas, and you know, and then you know, a year later, I find myself like animating pieces of the film in two D. Wow, you know, learning new skills, yeah. um, you know, and along the way, I had to from so ended up, so long story short uh. to get to it is I ended up getting hired as the story and editorial coordinator for oh, wow. the project. So what and, what's that position entail? Like a uh, story, and, and I mean, I guess you obviously look over the story and stuff. But what, what I mean, yeah. is there more to it than that? So um, yeah, there, and there was a little bit more to it. So yeah. and to put it in perspective, when you watch a DreamWorks or a Pixar film, mm-hmm. there's a story coordinator and a story PA. There's okay. a editorial coordinator and an editorial PA. There's a director's assistant. These are all different people. Mm-hmm. I did all of these things all oh, at wow. once. So I ran, yeah. So I was in charge of scheduling everything for the director. Yeah. Um, for the most part, I shared that with the production manager as well. Um, but anything that needed to do with like story work, yeah. anything that had to do with script, story, or editorial, mm-hmm. I I organized the entire thing. And so yeah. like, I would work with story artists. We had a team of about six to seven people. And we would give them sequences. They would board them over the course of a couple of weeks. Those boards would have to be ingested into editorial. Yeah. And they would need to be, and then revisions would need to be tracked the entire way. So when someone does a storyboard sequence, I mm-hmm. schedule a time with the director. The director comes down, sits with the story artist, sees their pitch, gives them notes. I record the notes. Wow. You know, basically write up a, you know, a notated version of the action that needs to be happened or the panels that need to change or yeah. like, if it comes down to, and, and a lot of that was how I learned about acting from an animation standpoint and everything in acting and animation standpoint kind of ties back into human emotion. Yeah. So they're always trying to pull human out of emotion out of something that's inhuman. So it's, it's cool to see, you know, 
them work the acting and how important that was. Yeah. Uh, the action camera, all that stuff. It was how, really, you know, so you get, it was like, there's a great front row seat to see yeah. it because you're laying out the film shot by shot, frame by frame, uh-huh. action by action, look by look. It's not, you know, Hey, walk out there, look backwards and go, you know, you're controlling every single moment of it. You know, you can control the timing of it. So it was really interesting to see that. Same thing in editorial. You know, we'd sit down, we'd watch a sequence, give notes. Yeah. Um, and then when we needed to go back to script, we would go back to script, sit down. Uh, we had these giant story walls. Yeah. Um, when when they built the wing to do the animation film, they built a room mm-hmm. that the entire room was covered in corkboard. And it was awesome. And so we had the entire film up on <laughs> note cards and like key art. Oh wow! All the in the entire it, we were just surrounded by art. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's very inspirational. Um, I feel like walking into every day at work. Yeah, and you know the characters are on the wall. And yeah. It's not just like the final painted characters. It's literally the stuff that like people had doodled at lunch that became ideas in the film. Yeah, and so um, I did this position on this film mm-hmm. and two other films, and yeah. I grew up. I, I ended up becoming a production manager myself, and nice. then was on track to become a line producer. Yeah, and. You know, I, I found, you know, a niche kind of like Mm -hmm. working this because I could run the front end of an animated film by myself. Mm -hmm. You know, once I was given a team, I was able to kind of do it a little bit more, you know, a little bit better. Yeah. Um, eventually I got to run my own show. Um, question for you. Yeah. Uh, how's, I mean, cause I never really dabbled in animation. This is all new to me listening to this and learning. How does it work with the script? Do the, the do the actors record their lines first and then you guys animate to that? Or do they kind of see the animation and then they record to the animation that they're seeing? Well, we don't um, usually record the actors about halfway through the process. Okay. Um, much of the first half of the, of the film is done in what's called story animatics. Okay. And so story animatics are just animated storyboards you know, you're not, it's not like a 2D animated Saturday morning cartoon. Like, uh-huh. it's like really rough to watch. You need to know what you're looking at. Um, sometimes we can animate it in like, uh, in After Effects. We'll do yeah. like little tricks. They're like, you know, just sell a beat or like somebody will go and actually paint the background. But most of the time it's in black and white. Okay. You know, a lot of it looks like pencil sketch. Cause yeah. That's the way a lot of the story artists work. Even though they're working on digital tablets, they still have pens and markers and things that all resemble like hand drawn uh, tools. So, and everyone has a different animation style. So the character looks like one way in one scene and then you go to the next scene, he looks completely different because it's a different artist and they draw him a completely different messed up way. doesn't even look like the model, but you know who it is. And all you're trying to do is time out how long the scenes are, how long the film is. You usually bring in um, some scratch actors who usually end up being your production team. So I did a lot of scratch acting. I ended up uh, being cast as Woody Harrelson's voice double for the uh for the film yeah so okay. i did all yeah. his lines and then ash did all of owen's lines so Gosh. we did the whole film just us mm. uh with other members of the crew and once we had a version that we felt like was working mm-hmm. we took one scene and then we went and recorded owen and woody and just got that scene and then you do a test and so that's when you start like animation is very front end back end you gotcha. know there is no like there is no production time really like production is really mm-hmm. post because that's where it kind of all happens. Production is like okay. animation. Yeah. So you have the 2d work mm-hmm. uh, up until a certain point. And once like a sequence of time, like, you know, three or four minutes worth of, of material is approved. 
it goes on to the next stages, which is mo- is everything that's done on the computer yeah. for the 3D animation graphics. So like layout, and wow. then animation, and then texturing, and then uh, effects, lighting. Yeah. And it all gets done on by one specific division each time. So there's just one one team that sets out the cameras, mm-hmm. and that's called layout. Mm-hmm. And then and then they block the action as well. So like literally the 3D um, the 3D characters aren't even moving yet. They might not even be rigged yet. They're just yeah. like T-posed kind of things, and they just move through the scene. Mm-hmm. And that just lets us know where the camera's going to be, what we're looking at, and how long the shot is. Wow. Um, and then that gets sent to the animation team, yeah. which then they take that character, they replace it with the rigged final character, which is all grayscale, and they have it run through the scene or jump or fall or do whatever they need to do. They animate mm-hmm. the entire thing shot by shot usually with a team of about like 12 people. Yeah. Um, so imagine that like there's a sequence, uh, there are 50 shots. You have one person working on one shot, which could be anywhere from like four frames to 140 frames. Holy moly. And you have, and not everyone is an A plus animator. Yeah. Everything from an A to a B to a C into a D like first starting out really rough can only do simple things you know, can do some stuff, but not heavy acting, like can handle acting, but is not your A, you know, not your A. And then you have the A who can do everything. Um, and so you have to like assign each shot accordingly. Yeah. And it has to fit onto an artist's schedule to say that, okay, within a 16 week block, we're going to get through all these shots with all these different people. Wow. So it's like, it's an insane amount. And, and as you're going through it, you think like, okay, you have three days to do this shot, literally animate the entire thing. Well, if in that three days you're not done, yeah. it pushes on your schedule. And that is, and that's every single division. So imagine like hundreds of artists uh, all racing their schedules just to get a film. <laughs> it's like insane. You explain this and, to me. I'm sweating and I feel stressed out. Just like, listening. <laughs> like I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm like, and then us, and then us production managers and, um, and coordinators and PAs are stuck in the middle trying to organize it all and, and figure out what we need because, it is like, you know, to the filmmakers, like to the director and some of the other people like, yeah, they want to stay on schedule, but they want to make a good movie. So yeah. they're going to keep doing whatever they can to get that. Um, and, you know, in, in production, you got to let you got to watch your budget. Yeah. No so t- you're like, all right, how <laughs> you know, so you're constantly pushing back. But that's why animated films take upwards of three to four years to produce. Wow. Um, most of the things you see from Pixar, those things have been in production for six years. For, heard of yeah. films that I think Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs started production twelve years prior to it actually coming out. Holy moly! Yeah, I love so, that movie. <laughs> I love that movie too. That's actually my favorite. That's my favorite animated film. That is and, like yeah, yeah, I agree. That is actually one of mine. I love because I love the book so much. But I I feel like they didn't do justice to the book though, which I'm kind of upset about a little bit. So that's just my. I just I don't know. I just love the style of animation. I love the story. I'm yeah. a big Bill Hater fan. Like. Yeah, that I mean, I do love the I, like I said, I love the movie, but I mean, if they make it again somehow way in some into the future, like I hope they make it more aligned to the book, even though the book's short as a child's book. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, it's always tough. Yeah, I mean, it's always tough to kind of do it. We had a, I've had a I worked on a show where we adapted a Chinese novel. Oh wow. Um, yeah, so it was a it was a, a huge departure from the novel, but the novel like on page eight, the character's yeah. dad was like ripped to shreds by woods, and then oh, by page twenty four, there are like dogs in the city that do like heroin. And we're the... like, you know what? If you want four quadrant family films, I don't think we should follow this story. <laughs> uh, so we came up with something much different, but it was yeah. you know, um, yeah. So 
it was cool. I mean, th- mm-hmm. so throughout the entire time, I got to work with really brilliant people. Um, you know, I got to work with Scott Mosier. Yeah. Oh, wow, nice. Uh, yeah, it, which was it was like I remember the day I was in the office and I saw him walk through and I was like, "Whoa, what's Snowball <laughs> doing here?" <laughs> and then like just thinking like, "Well, wait a second, he's gonna work on this movie? Like what?" And that, you know, and then yeah. Scott goes on after that to go do the Grinch. Um, and I know he's working on he's working on something now. I gotta I want to try and catch up with him. But like it was cool to like work, mm. you know, to work under people. You know, Jimmy Hayward and that yeah. uh, Jeff Biancolano. You have a really a good support line of like learning from all these great people that have been in the industry for such a long time. So yeah, yeah you're absorbing so much information. Yeah, and in the, what was great about it was that we were, I was at the independent level. So at the independent level, the walls are much thinner. Yeah. Um, getting to sit in a room and being a meeting, like if I was at Warner Brothers, I would not have sat in ninety percent of the meetings I got to sit in. On. Yeah, and I would not be privy to much of that information. I was that I was in rooms where information was <laughs> talked about in exchange, where I was like, "What am I doing in here?" Yeah. Um, I you know talking about like people being fired, you know the or how to handle this thing or that thing, and like it was just insane, and mm-hmm. so. But what it was, was I just realized that, like, this is what it was. Yeah. It wasn't like I was experiencing this one-off movie where everything was insane. It's just that what I realized after a couple of them was like, no, that's just kind of status quo. Yeah. And so, like, by resetting my... And it took me a while to get there. And plus, after a while in animation, I got really... I don't know. I got really down about being in it because my Mm -hmm. friends were working in other aspects and they okay. were getting credit credit after credit after credit after credit mm. you know finishing movies like my buddy worked in vfx he was jumping he was on a new movie every every six months oh wow and i was on the same movie for three years and then it comes out and like no one even notices that it was out mm-hmm. and it you know it, it having the ability to work on films yeah is i was lucky for that but I wanted to go and work on something that was like really special. Like okay. I wanted to find that like really, and most of the projects I've worked on have been special in some way, shape or form. Yeah. But it, for whatever reason, I wasn't finding my path. I wasn't finding what I wanted to do. And I started to realize that I wanted to get out of, um, get out of the industry. I was mm. like, I don't want to be in animation anymore. I want to be in live action. I want to make the switch over. Yeah. So I started doing uh, like 48 hour film festival. Okay. Just to like, like get the rust off. Just yeah. be like, okay, I haven't been on a set and, 10 years or I don't know how long it was like six years at that point, six or seven. And I was helping out friends and like realizing that like, I kind of needed to start over again yeah. a little bit. Things, things had progressed since I had graduated, yeah. you know, cameras were better. Everything was looking good. Um, and just started trying stuff. You know, I, I shot something for a 48 hour film festival. I, you know, was trying to do something for the never hike alone project really yeah. early on. that didn't work out. I did, uh, you know, off the 48 hour film project, I ended up helping friends on their personal productions mm. um and there it's just you know i started to meet a few people and that's when you know i had the idea to give never hike alone another shot yeah well, and so how long ago did you have of, never hike sorry to cut you off again but how long no. did you have never hike alone in mind during the animation years yeah i mean i was thinking of uh, definitely during the animation years mm. in fact when the first time i tried to film it i was still working in animation. Oh, okay that's how i met andrew lady I mean, gotcha. he's the one who became kyle mcleod and so mm. I'd always wanted to work in Friday the 13th. I mean, if, if I had like one goal, it'd yeah. be like, I, I just want to work on a Friday the 13th movie. Like in 2008, I was sending Red my resume to Bay Films so I could yeah. get on as a PA on the production. Uh, I was oh, not I saw that, that was, that, oh, man, I saw that on Valentine's Day when that came out, I think. Yeah, that's, I think it's when it came out. Yeah, I saw, oh man, I don't even remember. That's how bad it was. 
to yeah, me. Yeah, we won't get we won't we won't dive into that. We'll yeah. stick to the filmmaking part of it. But yeah. it was like you know, so I missed an opportunity to work on a film. Yeah. I was waiting for like another one to be made this entire time. Like literally, like I was waiting in the shadows for yeah. anything to be announced so I could apply, mm-hmm. and nothing ever came about. And I kept trying to get into Platinum Dunes, and they yeah. never had any luck. And then um, I decided I would make my own. Yeah. And started writing scripts and mm-hmm. said, oh, I bet I bet I can make a cool like sequence or something. Yeah. And then, yeah. No, and then it was weird. It was like all the years of studying and working mm-hmm. on those projects and doing that. It was like all of a sudden this like way to tell a Friday the 13th story just changed me. And I yeah. was just like, I have, a, I had all these crazy ass ideas. And so I just wanted to do them. And then, um, yeah, I was working on an animated film when I was I kind of got it going, mm-hmm. and it was halfway through the process where, you know, I decided to leave my job. Yeah, um, I was a production manager, and you know, doing pretty well. Yep. and you know, took a year off to make to make Never Hike Alone happen and like yeah. really bring it home. Um, and then you know, in the process of doing that, it just it changed everything. I, yeah, you know, since then I it, I it took a long time, but I ended up Never Hike Alone ended up leading to for me getting uh, actual like live action jobs working on set nice like i've always wanted so yeah. i've actually been working um as a pa as a second ad mm. and ad on different projects at mm. different levels and uh and it I'm, I'm enjoying it much more yeah uh, i just like being out there I like being on set I like, yeah you know kind of being part of the problem solving process there's I, no waiting i agree i like that i like that too that's my that's my favorite part of being on set just being in there and figuring out things it's all about that, I think. Yeah, it's like you've got to get something done by the yeah. end of the day. Like in animation, it's like you got to wait two weeks for something to get done. You know, it's yeah. like watching paint dry. Yeah. So, you know, and, and there's, it, it has its own ups and downs. And, it, you know, you have, to stay in, you have to stay inside all day and be air conditioning and have all the food brought to you. And, but then again, like you have an office job. Yeah. And that was one thing that always like upset me was that when I envisioned, envisioned working in, in film, mm-hmm. it wasn't sitting in an office. Yeah. And I wanted to go out and feel like I was capable of doing it, even though I knew I was, but I had to go like prove it to myself in a way to be like, no, he's like, you came out here to be one of those people that's like right behind the camera is something's happening. Go out there and find that. And so I would say that like, you know, so I've had the opportunity to work on some pretty cool TV shows. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, right now I production assistant, um, part-time for the rookie uh, on ABC, but I did all of season one. Nice. Um, and I got to be there for, you know, a multi-million dollar show that does a lot of stunts, that yeah. has big actors, big names, and like, it's a professional set. Yeah. And so that was really, I think, for me, even though I only got to do it at that time as a PA, yeah. it felt like the pinnacle of my, my career because it was like, this is where I'm here for. Yeah, this yeah. is what I want to see. So like, at that moment, being able to watch DPs of that level, mm. you know, working, seeing the grip and the, and the lighting. And yeah. All that stuff, all that stuff that I absorbed through the animation um, years, uh, I felt that kind of passion again yeah. rile up in me because it was like, oh, something new to learn. Mm. Like, oh, something new to like see it because it's like, yeah, my, my professor showed me something, yeah. but these are the people that do it. Yeah. These are the people that like really figure this stuff out. Yep. Seeing them build some of the rigs and bring in some of the equipment and you're like, oh, okay, this is how you do it. Yeah. Oh, all right. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, like a wide-eyed, and, bushy tail, you know, like looking, like, like so excited about everything, and like, oh my god, this is wonderful. And yeah, it's all those emotions. Yeah, but at the same time, also having a seasoned, also having a seasoned kind of now 
you know, over a decade experience working the well, business and understanding the nuances of everything more too. Yeah. And knowing where I could step in, where I couldn't, who I should talk to yeah. and who I shouldn't. And it's allowed me to now, you know, I, I'm really fortunate right now because I'm pursuing the, what I've always wanted to pursue. Mm-hmm. And that's becoming a filmmaker, a full-time filmmaker and, you know, working in film. Yeah. And that's, those are the two things that, that I always wanted to do since I made the decision to do this. Yeah. Um, and you know, for the first time, you know, in a, now a 12 year career, I'm actually, I feel like I'm getting to do exactly what I set out to do. That's a good thing. That's it's, mm-hmm. you're getting to your, ba- ba- even though it's baby steps, it's, it's something better than nothing and not going backwards. Yeah, no, it's always, yeah. I mean, it's, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that people, anyone who listens to this, who's like getting just started in the yeah. industry and is at that moment where like, they've only been a PA for a year yeah. and like hungry to do the next thing and get the next promotion and get more money and all that stuff. Like I really learned something as I moved through to like, I should have appreciated the times when I was a PA more. Yeah. It was good that I was pushy. It was good that I fought my way up. It was mm-hmm. good to do that. But I, I, you know, I basically sold away all my free time Yeah. Um, just for a bigger role and a bigger paycheck. Yeah. Um, you know, what's nice about being a PA is you show up, you still get paid and you still pay your rent. Yeah. And you can go home when they call cut, you know what I mean? Oh, not really. You gotta stay up and do wrap out, but <laughs> still like, it wasn't like, it wasn't like animation where I felt like I was on call 24 hours a day. Yeah. And you know, I was salary and there were you know, only so many weeks off. Like now I, if I got a job, like I work freelance, I can book three days and I can take three days off. Not too shabby. And you know, and it's yeah. like, if I work those three days, it's not like those next three days, I'm just sitting in my underwear playing video games. <laughs> You know, yeah. I'm working on my own stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's what's most fulfilling is the fact that, like, on my days off, or quote unquote, my day off, yeah. like on my day home, I'm firing up and I have this little production company, Wants Stomp Films, mm-hmm. that requires my attention, that requires my, you know, to me push it, to mm-hmm. think about where, where can I go? Where can I find another fan? Where can I, um, you know, what production are we working on next? Who haven't I talked to in a little bit? Mm-hmm. Who do I need to check in with? And really, like, all those things I learned about running animated film Mm -hmm. i now have that work ethic and that organization ability to just run my own stuff i mean it's so much easier for me to just be like i know how to run a multifaceted team of like different people in Mm -hmm. different areas like this is what i do but now i get to do it for myself rather than something i don't have any control of and Um, it feels more fulfilling to you now obviously feels more fulfilling to you as well too yeah no definitely especially like i mean i think even this now like is as stressful as it is Mm -hmm. because that's kind of the trade-off um, is that, you know, once I get to do land that first, once I do get to land that first, you know, feature as a director where I'm hired as one by somebody else and I'm getting paid for it and somebody else is a producer on it, you know, I know that at that point that like, you know, I'm not going to have control of everything, yeah. you know, how it gets marketed, how it gets sold and this thing, that thing, mm-hmm. even probably the final cut at some point, like eventually it's not going to be my movie. Anymore. Yeah. Um, with these productions, at least they're my films or at least they're my friends' films mm-hmm. and they, they get the ability to, you know, come in and, and gather as much material as possible and make something for themselves. Now, um, question, uh, you said yeah. uh, it's stressful, right? But like, it was, yeah. it, is, because it was such a, it seemed like a stressful environment in the animation, you know, when you were doing the animation thing, is that stress now like a different type of stress? To you, because yeah. like I feel like you know I had a stressful job like before I went back to the news, and I feel like I can do anything now. It's not the same <laughs> stress, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, no, no, it's a different stress. I mean, okay. the other stress was more just like the pressure of people breathing down your neck. Okay. You know, gotcha. Like, in this, it's like you have you, the pre- the pressure isn't on people breathing down your neck. It's yourself. It's kind of you breathing down your own neck. Got okay. Gotcha. And knowing that the buck stops with you, you know, it was like yeah. there were things that I couldn't control in the movie, and that was the other stressful thing. It was like. You know, we're on these movies and you have your creative team saying one thing and you got another team saying something else mm-hmm. and nobody can agree on what movie they want to make. <laughs> and, you know, people are getting fired and you know, your friends are getting fired. Yeah. And people are getting let go and businesses are going under and all this crazy shit. Mm. It's like you got to, you know, people often forget, like, how much your personal life and your business life marry into each other. Yeah. Um, and the, these people you work with become family and friends. And then, you know, you see them fired or, and, and stuff like that. It's like you can get personal or like people go through like rough times when they're on shows and mm. you know, they have times where like they're not producing as well. Like yeah. I've had story artists that have gone through divorces, and, um, you know, had custody battles with kids, and, you know, they're trying to get work done while in the middle of it. They need to take a call from their lawyer to get it done. And so you realize about like behind these films that we all love and adore is that are like the lives of people who yeah. are, you know, killing themselves to get them done. So people can see them. Sounds like a lot of pain um, too. Just pain. It is. I, yeah. I and it's not just this industry. I mean, yeah. I don't want to say that like it's just this. I yeah. think every every business yeah. is pushing. Sorry, <coughs> right, excuse me. It's okay. Um, yeah, every every business is is sort of put. It's kind of our culture these days. Mm-hmm. Like we keep getting pushed to work more and more. And the person who leaves, like when it's actually time to leave, is getting stared at. Like, oh, what are you doing? You're not putting in the mm-hmm. extra time. You know, and it was just, you know, I I could kind of see that. Yeah. And the thing I like about live action is. You are lazy that day. You're working extra hours. Mm-hmm. You know, you, yeah. you're gonna miss that shot. You're gonna miss that thing. But if you are organized and you bust your ass, you can get out early. Yeah, that's what I like. I like incentive-driven sets. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. kind of like, listen, guys. Like we got like 40 shots today. You know, but yeah. we got 12 hours. And if we work smart, we can get out of here quick, and everyone get bed a decent hour. But if you guys just want to lounge around and take your sweet ass time setting everything up. Like then we're gonna be out here all night. It's those damn DPs, so, man. They just have lights and take forever, and all those, and also those audio guys. Just, just kidding. <laughs> well, no, I mean it's. I mean every single, but that's that's what happens. Yeah, I know. Like you, once you understand your, once you understand your department heads yeah. and you have a good relationship with everybody, um, it's just. I think what people do is they get this mindset that like it's got to be perfect. We just got to move so fast. Mm. It's like. Once it's again, it's like once you set your standard as, all right, something's gonna mess up. I don't know what it is. I don't know yeah. which one of you guys is gonna be at this time, yeah. but one of you is gonna drop something. It's Murphy's law, and yeah, it's Murphy's law, and we're just gonna be ready and prepared yeah. for it because I think, and that's the ultimate thing. It's like it's not whether you can be perfect on set because no one can. It's whether you can be imperfect and be okay with it mm-hmm. and keep moving forward and just get what you need and solve it in the moment and go from there. I, I mean, if something comes along and, and completely kills you, then, yeah. it, then it kills you. There's nothing you can do. Yeah. But, I mean, that's a very valuable like uh, nugget to give to the people too because a lot of people are always striving for perfection. And like you just saying that, it's like, you know, it's like not everything's going to be perfect, but it will get done. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, you, you, the best you can do before you get out there is just draw a map. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's the best. I mean, you can do previs, you can do all that stuff, but once you're there and your sticks are in the ground, mm-hmm. you know, not everything's going to be the same. It's not a perfect environment. Yeah. It's not a perfect day. It's, you know, there's a thousand things that are, are working to screw you up at all times. And so 
it's just kind of being comfortable with it, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's just what it is, what it is. All I need is this shot and we'll figure it out. If it's too bright, we'll throw a flag over them. And, you know, and just have, and just knowing that like the confidence you have really comes from knowing that you're covered. I think that's what it is. I think it's like we get we get afraid of not knowing if we're going to be okay. And I think what it is, it's like I've found that I find comfort in knowing that like, because like, so like, I mean, we're, we're recording this a few months back, but I'm mm-hmm. about to go shoot Never Hike in the Snow. Oh. And. Is that a sequel? Uh, yeah, that, it's a prequel. Oh, it's prequel. actually takes place three months before Never Hike oh. Alone and stuff like that. So I'm like, excited. It's a really, and it's a huge project for us. And. You know, I, I called it Never Hike in the Snow. Yeah. Well, it's been a kind of dry winter out here. And I'm hoping that there is snow when I get up there. Where are you going? For, are you going back to uh, – I, I, I think I saw the – Big Bear. Big Bear. Yeah, I was going to ask uh, if you're going yeah, back to Big, Big Bear. Bear. So, and we have three places, and hopefully all three of them have snow, and there's probably a good chance that one of them might not. Yeah. So at the same time, I could sit here and panic and go, like, oh, my God, if I don't snow, what am I going to do? Blah, blah, blah. Well, mm-hmm. you know, I, I we come up with plans. We have We have contingencies. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll change the name if we have to, yeah. you know, things like this. So it's like, once you become, it's like, we might have to change the name. And instead of being like, oh my God, we're going to change the name. It's going to be so mad. Like, <laughs> you know what? I don't care. <laughs> I like, you kind of stop caring. And, you yeah. know, maybe it's a luxury that I have because I've, I've now have a lot of experience. And, you know, I had, I had such a blast with Never Hike Alone and having that positive mm-hmm. kind of feedback was really, it really benefited my psyche. Himself yeah, I'm gonna have to fangirl and, for a second, but that was you know, phenomenal. By the way, never hike alone. Thank you. I saw. I, I finally got to sit down and watch it last night. Like I was so busy for like the last couple of weeks before um, you know before the podcast, and I finally sat down and watched it last night. I was like, "This is fucking awesome!" Like, <laughs> yeah, it was nice. great. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah so it was. Um, yeah. So it, it was. It was a really great experience, and it was really hard. Yeah. Um, it was a really hard experience, and. You know, now it's kind of three years later, mm-hmm. um, or we're coming into the third year, it's been yeah. about two and change. And, you know, I feel like there's this piece of me that, like, I came to Hollywood because I wanted to make a Friday the 13th movie. Mm-hmm. And whether it's recognized as official or not really doesn't matter to me anymore yeah. because enough people, after two and a half years of, like, it's still out there, it's yeah. still making its way around, people are still discovering it, and, like, so positive about it. It's like now I kind of feel comfortable to be like, I finally said what I wanted to say. Yeah. Now I'm just going to continue doing it. And I'm confident that the people who like it will like it. And if, you know, people don't like it, they don't like it, but I don't care anymore. Like all I care about is, is going out, telling story, spending time with my friends on set to tell those stories and creating set environments and experiences for people that, Hopefully, when they are finishing their careers, they'll think back and be like, remember when we were making those stupid Friday the 13th fan films out in the middle of the forest? And, you know, and we weren't making any money and we weren't doing anything, but that was the greatest time ever. It's like, it's it's why we do it. We do it for the memories. And, 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 you know, hopefully, I think with with snow, um, I, we got, it's for, we had forecasted for snow, by the way. So Uh. we do have snow up there um, and we should have it up there. And if we don't, we don't. We have, when you go shoot that? uh, in two weeks on the twenty second, twenty second and twenty third. Oh, I'm gonna keep the fingers crossed that you still have snow. Yeah, no, I think we will. I think we'll be fine. Positive right? thinking. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's high elevation, yeah. and really, we're not looking for something that's like completely blanketed in snow mm. anyway. Um, it just would be, it would 
slow the production down too much. So having just enough yes. is just perfect. Um, and at least there's at least going to be remnants, so we can at least make snow pockets. Yeah. We'll play with blood and snow. We'll just, you know, we just won't sell it as a wintry thing, and somebody else will have to, to pick up the thing. But what's important for us is story. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I have a story to tell with this, and, you know, I think an earlier version of Never Hike in the Snow would have been really dependent upon the snow. Mm-hmm. Um, and this version is not. Oh. And that's what I really liked about it. It's like the snow is a nice added bonus. It's mm. the frosting. It's the icing, literally. But um, really, I think people are going to walk away no matter whether there's snow or not in this film. Yeah. Uh, it, it's going to, they're going to be shook. And I, I'm really like, I'm really excited about it. I think that everything that I've learned in the last two years is one, you know, showing Never I Go On to people and getting reactions, but then going out on the tour and seeing other independent filmmakers mm. out there, which is, I think, a big part for anybody who wants to be a filmmaker. Like, once you, start making stuff you got to get it in festivals not to go win laurels and not to go win awards i mean i haven't really i mean i've won a couple of times but i really haven't won that much most and most of the time i'm disqualified because i'm a a fan film yeah so i don't even get to participate in the award yeah yeah. it's not important though because what is important is the people that you meet yeah and the other filmmakers and you go and you see somebody else who's kind of doing the same thing you're doing like yeah when you go to film festivals a lot of people just trying to like shoot their shot mm-hmm. and see if like just make a film and for yeah. them just making the film was enough and some people are out there really trying to make a living at it yeah. and when you meet those people they're kindred spirits it's, you know they're from Chicago yeah. and from Indiana and, mm-hmm. and you know from you know New all York, parts of the world yeah all parts of the world Florida like different people I met from different places mm-hmm. and you meet up in these different pockets of the world at these film festivals and you watch each other's films and you talk about them and everybody has a different style mm-hmm. and you know I think about it like this like you know, I'm in my mid thirties now. Yeah. I look at the class that I'm with and I look around at the, the people that are in my age group, the guys and the girls. Mm-hmm. And you know, our, yeah, it's our age range is like between the twenties and thirties, Yeah. but there's a class here. There's a good class of filmmakers that, you know, at one point in time, you know, John Carpenter and Wes Craven and those guys were students yeah. and they were young and they were independent filmmakers and there was more, there was a better independent market then. Yeah. To get that, that's out. that golden age of Hollywood too around that time when they're starting up around like the Steel, Spielberg, Coppola, Lucas, all that shit. Yeah, if you look at that, but then if you look at all the way to stuff that like, you know, like look at the David Bruckners and the Jeremy yeah. Sonniers and, and people like that. Like they got their starts with, with films that were not seen by mainstream audiences, yeah. but hit that indie market really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and they put in the work. And I think that like those people at our level that are putting in that work, I feel like I'm putting in the work yeah. and hopefully we start to get opportunities to make films for, for bigger production companies. Like mm-hmm. we're doing it ourselves right now and yeah. it's a lot of work and it's a lot of fun, but I know a lot of goals for a lot of us is to go and like get hired to run a project yeah. and, you know, be able to just focus on the direction, which would be, um, which would be a lot of fun. And you know it too, like, um, you know, come, like your video has a boatload, boatload of views for Never Hike Alone. And I mean, if you want to look at a parallel in a, in a sense, like I'm not trying to jinx you, but like, uh, remember that Mortal Kombat uh, legacy uh, movie that they made, that, that fan film at one time, and then it got picked up for a show. I oh, mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there is a good chance. I mean, like you, like again, you have those boatload of views and you're doing another Jason project. It was so good that, I mean, once whoever has these rights and figures out, you know, they might be knocking on your door. You know, there's a good chance. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't, I, I definitely like, I definitely have that open and I have mm. people I can call, you yeah. know what I mean? It's just, I have called some of those people and it's not that people aren't impressed by Never Hike Alone yeah. or, or anything like that. It, it comes down to a couple things. One, 
can't do anything with the rights. Yeah. Well, I mean, nobody's interested in even having the conversation. So it's like, <clears throat> even even if it gets me in the door, it's kind of like the, the conversation stops pretty quickly. Yeah. And saying that, like, well, we can't do anything with it, so we'll be in touch when when we get there. Oh yeah. You know once they I mean? figure that and out. And me that... being like, no, get get like get something together right now, so that way when we get there, we're ahead of everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's Deadpool this thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, let's get like a teaser out and show people what this could be. Mm-hmm. And let them get and let them rally behind it, and let that let that viral nature kind of get us a foot in the door. I mean, um, if Halloween can come back and do that, then why can't Friday Thirteenth? Why can't like a Nightmare on Elm Street? You know what I mean? Like, well, they are. I mean, the, in Nightmare on Elm Street, will they're taking pictures right now? I oh, they are. One person who is pursuing it very uh, aggressively is Elijah Wood. Oh yes, I did read that recently. Point. Yes. So there's that. Um, mm-hmm. And Friday the 13th would if it wasn't for the legal stuff. I mean, there was a video game that got completely cut off in the middle of its production. You know, they had so much yeah. stuff ready to go. I was, well, I was, you know, isn't I, the video I, the video game's out, though? Because I've seen gameplay and stuff oh, like it, Oh, yeah, it's out. But they, they had like three more levels that they were going to do. Oh, really? Like two more Jasons and more oh, kills wow. and, and all the and, and new levels and stuff yeah. like that. It was, <clears throat> there was a lot more there. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, and it's unfortunate because that's what the that's what the the lawsuit halted, mm-hmm. and then um, yeah. So I mean, and everything's been been stagnant since then. Yeah, so yeah. in the meantime, we have fan films, which mm-hmm. have become its own little juggernaut yeah. in the indie world these days. Like after, kind of after Never Hike Alone, and you know a few other of these films mm-hmm. that were in production kind of caught wind, and people could see that they could do it. Um, now everyone's throwing their hat in the ring. Yeah. So we've seen a, seen a lot. I mean, I'm I'm a producer on, geez, like four different other fan films. Wow. And, yeah, and I have my own series that I'm doing a mini series that I'm pitching. You know, so it's kind of yeah. funny that like it kind of escalated a little quickly. But um, hey, but that's not but a bad thing, right? I, no, it's not. And, and you know, it's like it kind of it's it's weird, and I understand that. Like, I get a lot of yeah. Um, how would I say it? Like I, I get a lot of cachet because because Jason's in the project, so mm-hmm. it brings a lot of eyes to it. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of people out there making original stuff that it's like it's it's harder for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the only problem is is that even though I can generate cash, I can't keep it. Yeah. You know, it's like we each have a. a it's like we both have like the opposite problem. Like I can generate cash, but I can't keep it. Mm-hmm. And they can't generate cash, but everything that they do generate, they can keep. Yeah. So it's like, it's like if we could just switch, you know, not if we could just switch places, but if you can get to that point where like you can make it and you can keep it, mm. um, that's, that's a, that's a big thing. And so I think, you know, Never Hike Alone afforded us an opportunity to be seen by a lot of people yeah. and it came, but it came out of a place of not me trying to get there because I'm only literally trying to keep my company afloat just to keep these things going. Yeah. I, the, my original plan was that I opened up Womp Stomp Films so I could make Never Hike Alone, shut it down and move on with my life. Yeah. Um, I was, I mean, I was packing up shop as we were, you know, basically as soon as we hit go, yeah. I was like, all right, I'm done. Boom. Let me just get all this down. We'll do our taxes mm-hmm. and we'll be done with this. And it's popularity is what kept it going. It was like when you do something and people respond to it mm-hmm. for the right reasons, um, it inspired me to want to keep doing it, yeah. especially getting a chance to work with Tom Matthews. I was like, if I wanted to continue that relationship, you know, I had to come up with more story for him and I needed yeah. to give him something to like chew on and. You know, it was, was that the guy who played Tommy Jarvis? All these opportunities were there, and I realized that like I could either wait for for either wait for Friday the Thirteenth to come to me, mm-hmm. 
where I can just pick up the ball and run with it. Yeah. And so I just picked it up and, and here we are. The, that Tom guy you mentioned? Yeah. Uh, was he to- Was he Tommy Jarvis? Yeah, no, right. that's Tommy Jarvis from Part Six. Okay, so I mean, I, when yeah, I watched it yesterday, I had like so many questions. Like, when does that like is because when I first watched it, I was like, is this like a Friday Thirteenth movie with like an Halloween style where he didn't negate it like the second to th- six? And I'm like, is it just based on the first one? Then I, it kind of cleared at towards the end with Tommy showing, and then I had to ask, was there a few Easter eggs about the different weapons that Jason had in his hand? Like the the st- like the one knife was looked like it was from like I think. Either Friday Thirteenth Part Two or Three, the blade of uh, the blade, and the hatchet. I think <coughs> from Two, right? Uh, the the, axe. Let me see. The axe is no. The axe is original. That oh. was actually a gift from somebody who um, was a producer on the project, and yeah. they had that in their shed, and they were like, "Here, use this." Okay. And I just liked it because it had a yellow handle. Yeah. Because yeah. I always attributed yellow with Camp Crystal Lake. Yeah, yeah, makes um, sense. And so they would have painted their handles yellow and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So. We ended up using that. The The knife is the knife that stabbed through Jason's mask on the cover of part four. Okay. Okay. Because I was like. Yeah. Because I, I know there's a, in the box of like either the, uh, not the box, the VHS cover or whatever it was, the second or third one, he uses a, he uses that type of knife as well, I think. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's yeah, what I was yeah. like. So we tried, we, yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that. I mean, yeah. all the, all the red ribbons or kills from the first movie. Mm-hmm. Um, there's. And, and it takes place basically after the Paramount era. Okay. So I kind of came up with an idea that this takes place. The last known event was the Manhattan. Like, basically, I try to treat it like as if you tried to like go back and not look at it as the movies. Mm-hmm. But if you were a character in that world, keeping track of the Jason sighting. Yeah. And so there was the Manhattan event. Yeah. You know, there was, you know, then um, what was there was the Shepherds. Mm-hmm. It was, you know. The forest green, you know, the for the the shepherd incident, the forest green incident, mm. and like basically track it back. Gotcha. And that basically all these events happened within this universe. Okay. Um, did they happen the same exact way? Did they follow the same exact rules? No. I try to keep it in like my kind of sense of it, so yes. it all makes sense. Rather than you know, just saying like in some way, shape, or form, the same events happened, the same characters mm. were involved. But if I was telling the story, they would have been a little bit like there would have been a through line. Yeah. And so what I was trying to do is just basically pull a through line out of that, a mm-hmm. commonality of those kind of storylines gotcha. and then play it into this world. So it's 30 years later mm-hmm. since Jason's been seen. So last time he was seen was around 1990 something. Okay. Um, Jason Goes to Hell never happened. Freddy versus Jason never happened. Jason 10 never Jason happened. Next, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And 2009 never happened. Yeah. And so, and in this world, he's just, Jason came back from New York and went into reclusivity. Yeah. Um, Makes sense because he's in the cat skills. Yeah. And so he just like, after like year, like a decade of like rising and falling and mm-hmm. rising and falling and blah, blah, blah. He finally just gets back to the camp and just like, he's like, I need a breath. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just need to heal. Like, yeah. I've just, you know, I just got melted. Like, you know, all this, like kind of like, kind of beaten down. Yeah. And poor guy within that, you know, so in the meantime, like, you know, you got to think about the way that the town dealt with it. So in our world, uh, Rick became uh, the guy who was in part six who said, wherever the red dot go, you bang. Uh, Deputy Rick Cologne. Well, now he's, and so in order to fix the Jason problem, he's the one who came up with the idea of the nature preserve, that if they roped out the nature preserve mm-hmm. and they, you know, they threatened people with big fines and, you know, time in jail, yeah. that no one would go into the land near Camp Crystal Lake. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And there's land in Camp Crystal Lake in our world, just so people understand, like, oh, what happened to Forest Green? Well, they changed the name to Forest Green, but when they built the Forest Green Camp, mm-hmm. they didn't build it on the old site because nobody in town will go back there. That's one big rule in my world of Friday the 13th. Gotcha. People are so scared of, of Camp Crystal Lake, even though it's up for public auction, no one will bid on it. No one will buy it. Mm-hmm. Everyone just wants to leave it alone and let it rot. So they let it be owned by the by yeah. the town, by the county, Wessex County. And Wessex County has roped it off as a wildlife preserve mm-hmm. and no one can go out there. And Rick treats it as, if you go beyond that fence, you're not my problem. Yeah. That's it. I don't know what's out there, but I'm not going out there to fight what's out there because they will probably kill me. Yeah, yeah. And I don't even know if it is out there. I think it's a load of bullshit because mm-hmm. I never saw it. I think Megan's covering for Tommy. I think everybody's lying type thing. Like, I think that there's a cover up going on here and he kind of like sees Tommy a certain way. Yeah. And then you have Tommy who now exists in the town who thinks that Jason's still out there. Mm. But now that Jason's become a recluse, he can't find him. Yeah. You know, Jason has no interest in fighting Tommy because he doesn't want to deal with it. Yeah. It's like it. Jason has. It's funny. It's like Jason's learned and Tommy hasn't. Like, Jason's realized that, like, oh, if I go toe-to-toe with this dude, I'll probably kill him, but his death will probably lead to a lot of trouble for me. Yeah. So they'll come up here looking for him, and then I'm going to have to deal with it. Yeah. Um, he's trying to, like, avoid attention rather than attract attention. And it's he fascinating, to keep... too, that yeah. Tommy's an EMT as well, which makes it, like, even... It makes it more like detective work for him, because I feel like, you know, him being mm-hmm. an EMT now, he's like, if there's a murder, he's going to think it's Jason. Yeah, and well, there's certain situations where he will. There's yeah. When people go missing, when things go mm-hmm. there, and, and Tommy does his own investigations, and Tommy yeah. does his own thing. He keeps his finger on the pole, but his trail is cold. Yeah. Jason has found a way to just elude him for a long time, yeah. and in the meantime, he continues to haunt him at the same time. So it's this really, you know, it's this dance that they've been doing for a long time, and um, what I loved about Never Hike Alone is when I started to put it in perspective of the world, it's like when you have a, one character who mm-hmm. is trying to keep everybody out of something, you have another character that's ready to storm the castle and flush it out. Yeah. And those two people disagree on how to handle it. Well, neither of them get a choice because someone else ends up going in there and disturbing the sleeping dragon. And yeah. that's Kyle McLeod. And that's what makes him such a good character. Yeah. So you have these two characters that are disagreeing on how to handle something. And then, but it's worked for a long time for one. Mm -hmm. But now like what Tommy basically says is that it may work, but eventually it won't. Mm -hmm. And Never Hike Alone is the event that makes that happen. And so we wanted to kind of, kind of set that world up um, with our prequels. And so that's why we're doing Never Hike in the Snow. And then Mm -hmm. when we keep going on, we'll continue the story from there. And then in the second uh, the next one we're going to do called Never Hike Again, that's when you see Tommy's path pick up kyle and he meets him on the side of the road and we see kind of how that came to be and what happens after jason attacks them um which is a pretty cool sequence of events so that's the sequel never hike again yeah it's kind of like but it's also like um it's like half Mm. it's like a half sequel okay because some of it it happens at the same time as never hike alone but just all from tommy's perspective so like a part two Kind of, yeah. It's like a part. Yeah, it, 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 it's pretty much a true part two. It's mm. a little bit like in Back to the Future, yeah. When uh, <laughs> they go in Back to the Future two, and they go back and they see themselves yeah. do it again. There's a little bit of that. There's a okay. little bit of like like the the world's kind of 
blending together. And we yeah. do bring Kyle into that world at, at an early stage of the film. Mm-hmm. But you see him on like, he's on the same journey, yeah. but it's something we didn't show from the previous film. That's or neat. we show it lead into something you saw in the previous film and you realize, oh, okay, I know where he is. I yeah. know where on the journey he is. And it's cool because each film informs the other. And wow. when you go back and watch the original Never Hike Alone, you'll see the ways that we kind of set it all up. Okay. That. And I got to watch it and look for those, look for those clues. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we're going to, we got to, we got to sprinkle it into Never Hike again. Okay. And that's how you'll, you'll be able to connect oh. and be like, oh, I know where he is or I know where he's coming from. Gotcha. Or, okay. Oh, this is the moment right after this moment oh. where, you know, oh, this is where he was. Gotcha. Oh, this is where he went. And you're going to be like, oh, okay. and oh, it's going to fill in some gaps with like in the, storytelling of never hike alone we couldn't cover some of those things like, yeah how did kyle get found by the ambulance yeah well, he I, was, was unconscious. I was i was wondering that the He's whole time unconscious. we yeah. don't know yeah. i was like what how that <laughs> he doesn't know he doesn't know how he got there which yeah. is kind of part of the storytelling it's like he wakes up somewhere where he thought he was dead yeah that and ending an insight, really yeah. screwed me over because i like that ending like gave me a like i was like what wait huh i said that like four yeah, right? times while i was watching that i was like wait this no wait no wait yeah <laughs> So he, uh, yeah, so it's kind of like we wanted to have fun at the end and do something yeah. different and drastic. And it was it was to show a couple of things. One, that Jason was going to keep coming after him. Mm-hmm. Um, that there was, you know, that Tommy was out there. Yeah. And that, uh, and that Kyle is going to be haunted like Tommy. Yeah. And like the way that Tommy's haunted in part five, mm-hmm. um, I want to keep that going. Yeah. I really like that aspect. I like that, like, Jason still haunts you. That's one of my favorite posters. It's like, yeah. if Jason still haunts you, you're not alone. Um, that was a core theme that I wanted to weave through this new, yeah. um, you know, because I try to take something good from each film. Yeah. And that's a great horror sense. Yeah. From part, part five, even though it's considered a weaker entry, I really like part five. Mm-hmm. But that aspect of it, I always love those scenes where Tommy would see Jason in his room. That used to scare me incredibly. Yeah. And so if that's the reaction I had to it as a kid, it's something that I make note of. And I go, mm. there's something in it that works. Yeah. So keep that going. And so, yeah, we as the as the films move on, not so much Never Hike in the Snow, even though we will see some pretty cool Ghost Jason action. Oh, nice. Um, as we get into the Never Hike again and Jason takes Crystal Lake side of it, we're going to see those we're going to see those those visions in different perspectives. Um, and okay. how different people are affected by the Jason curse, um, mm-hmm. and how it's unique for each person. And, you know, kind of in within those flashbacks or within those dreams or within those like hallucinations, mm-hmm. like really do more connection and like revival and trips down memory lane with Friday the 13th. That like, I think what's nice is it, it, it connects it over the decades. Yeah. It's like, we're in a new story. We're telling a new thing, but we still feel connected to the old material. Yeah. Like, that that is influencing us. Definitely, those I definitely feel that way. Yeah, those experiences still mean something. Yeah, and I think that that's very important for a lot of fans. That when they go and they sit down and they watch a Friday the Thirteenth, they want to feel like the films that they love still mean something. Yeah, but they, they're still a part of the story. And I think that that's one thing that we've done really well with our stories is find a way to like feel like they grew out of the old films. Like yeah. they're inspired by. They have the right kind of movements, and even though they're different and there's different score. And it's a different looking Jason and mm-hmm. a different styles of story and it's not the right formula. There's just the the right idea is there. And I think that fans are picking up on that. Yeah. And I think that's why we've done so well. Um, because again, like if you if prior to making this movie you pitched me my own movie, mm. I would have doubted it would have been very good. <laughs> True. I mean, I 
you know, as a fan, I would have yeah. been like, why would I want to watch that? Yeah. And it was that challenge of me saying it to myself the entire time. like, why would I want to watch that? And those were, that influenced how I overcame a lot of what you thought would be, you know, detriment to the, to a project like yeah. this, and actually turning them into our strengths and mm-hmm. finding where, you know, we didn't need, you know, mm-hmm. constant blood and boobs yeah. and, you know, and drug use. It's refreshing, uh, actually, you know, I'm not going to yeah. lie. Yeah. No, I think I was, too, I, I think I was like, listen, I, it wasn't like I didn't watch the all the nudity scenes with glee as a kid like <laughs> oh my god you know what i mean yeah but at the same time like i remember when my mom would walk mm-hmm. in during those scenes and i would feel embarrassed i'd be like ah oh, you fast forward I'm trouble yeah. i'm gonna get this is where yeah. i'm gonna get in trouble like now i really shouldn't be watching it i'm really only watching it for jason to scare me yeah. that's what i'm waiting for I'm waiting for jason to show up and i want to be scared and it's like so i try to recreate films that are like that mm-hmm. i want to create films that like if somebody walks into a, a room they're not going to go, oh, you're watching one of those movies? Yeah. Like, which, hey, those have their place. I love Trauma just as much as everybody else. Mm-hmm. Like, Mutant Blast is probably one of my favorite films, like, ever. Um, I don't know if you've seen that yet. Never saw that, actually. I it's do. Gr- I, I mean, I, I know it's not Trauma, but right. Return of the Killer Tomatoes yeah. is, like, one of my like, yeah. favorite movies, actually. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like we got plenty of Friday in that realm. Yeah. I've always wanted to see, like, what if somebody actually, like, not for lack of a better word, but like gave a shit. Yeah. What if somebody cared? What if somebody didn't want to just like play into the plot, but just wanted mm-hmm. to tell like a really, really good story. And, and you did you that. The, yeah. I, I tried to. Yeah, no, and I, uh, I mean, it's, I mean, I like the, what I liked about it most is this cat and mouse thing where it's like, like, I mean, cause I, I feel like I don't watch horror films much, but when I do, I mean, this, it's a one-on-one chess match. I felt like it was more of a chess match of a cat and mouse thing, especially when Jason gets to the guy. But like it was a, I don't know. There's something about it that I'm like, this is really like, I like this one person going on this hike, obviously like you know hiking alone, and then Jason just stealthy. Like it felt like Jaws too. There's like a inspiration, like not inspiration, but like um, like I guess it felt like a like a little homage to Jaws because you really don't see Jason that much, and mm-hmm. like uh, in Jaws you don't really see the in the shark that much. I mean, yeah, obviously in the in the Friday Thirteenth movies you don't really see Jason when he's you know doing those things, but you see him a lot. You no know, killing, but I don't know. There's just something about it where I'm like, this has a nice like Jaws feel for some strange reason to me. Yeah, I mean, there was definitely that. Yeah, um, I did want to keep it because there was going to be a lot of Jason. I wanted I, the the film is the film grows. The yeah. way I designed it was that the film starts as an adventure film yeah. and it slowly becomes a Friday the Thirteenth. Yes, I didn't want people to watch it and know right away it's mm-hmm. Friday the Thirteenth. I wanted them as they were on the journey to be like wait a second yeah. this is camp crystal lake this is friday the 13th holy holy crap this is yeah. friday the 13th like, i can get really excited about it and if you know you're friday the 13th you'll recognize certain visual cues along yeah. the way and so um so we kind of so it kind of started with that mm-hmm. um and you know and then obviously with like kind of keeping jason in the background i think something else that had just come out recently when i was still making it was uh godzilla yeah, the the first one, and then like he doesn't show up till the end. Yeah, and I really wish I would have saw Mark Godzilla in that film, but I saw how effective that was. Yeah. So I think I was okay with like holding off, realizing that like okay, literally at the halfway moment in this film, Jason appears and he's on screen for like a majority of the rest of yeah. the film. Um, and when he's not on film, like you're running from him or mm. he's in the periphery somewhere. Like yeah, his I wanted Jason to. 
Yeah, I wanted Jason to feel lost. I wanted him to feel like maybe he's not there or maybe he won't attack, you know? Mm. It's like, what is Jason doing? And Jason's sizing him up and picking the right opportunity, but also not picking a fight until he knows that one needs to be picked. And it isn't until until Kyle finds his lair and discovers his mother's head and realizes that, like, if this guy leaves, he's going to bring back people back with him. So I'm going to have to dispose of him and goes to do it. And it's been so long since he's like had to kill somebody that he for, like this isn't like the old victims. This yeah. isn't like the old movies where he tosses someone out a second floor window and kills them. Yeah. Which in reality, most of us would get a concussion and we might break an arm, but we'd be alive, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to play with this this idea that if I didn't have a lot of kills, I only yeah. had one character. How much could a character survive, and how much could they take? And that's what became kind of the interesting thing to explore. So falling from a second story window, getting thrown into a tree, you know, getting cut, getting sliced, you know, all these things like, you know, having a cut and realizing that you could go into septic shock Mm -hmm. um, if you don't get it cleaned. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you'll get like somebody asked, like, well, why didn't he just run away from the camp? It's like, well, because he knows that he's got a 30 mile journey with no water, no food, no gear, no map and a wound that in a couple hours could you know paralyze him. yeah and then he's going to be puking and he's going to die or he can turn around he can face the monster clean himself out and, and get himself out of it yeah you know on a shorter trail too because he's closer to the other side of the trail than he is on the other side yeah, yeah. so so the, you know so it was like a lot of stuff like that it was like what was a smart way to have character encounter jason be beat up by jason but not killed by jason mm-hmm. And then make decisions that would keep him encountering Jason that wouldn't feel forced. Yeah. And it's tough to not make it feel at least a little forced, but at the same time, like, at least we took care and time to do it. When we had to, like, by the time we had to be like, all right, now they're just coming at each other, Mm -hmm. um, you've bought into it as an audience. Like, you're either in it or you're not, and we don't have to try to explain it anymore. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it becomes a craft in storytelling and, and like, it's funny, I'll wrap it all the way back around, like yeah. being able to write and craft like that goes back to the days of taking notes and story and editorial, mm-hmm. you know, sitting down, watching yeah. story artists explain sequences and talk about the meaning of the scene or, mm-hmm. you know, same thing in editorial. It's like being able to see that process and somebody like really hammer that out when you go out there and you take that experience to set and be able to direct that way, mm-hmm. really beneficial. And so that's where I get a lot of, um, that's where I get a lot of my confidence because I've seen it work before and I know yeah. how things work. So I have that ability to say, like, yeah, I know it works. Let's just do this. Nice. And what, what Jason, were you taking inspiration from? Were you taking all the best parts of Jason? Because, like, the, the look-wise of Jason. And I know you played Jason. Now, how did that feel playing Jason also? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess with the look. I mean, with the look, it was just I, I wanted to do my own version of the jacket look, mm-hmm. um, which I wasn't very satisfied with from yeah. previous attempts and, like, parts. Uh, they actually, it starts in Jason X. He actually starts with a jack on that one, but it's so small you can't tell. Mm-hmm. But they were doing a weird thing back then with him where they were tucking his pants into his shirt. Yeah. Or like tucking his shirt into his pants, which was odd. Um, and then Freddy versus Jason was like very Frankenstein-y and lumbery and yeah. just a lot to it. And then 2009 was like, I don't know. It just didn't feel like, mm-hmm. it just didn't feel. And I was like, what's missing? And so I started to, I wanted to go back yeah. to the roots and the green, you know, the green uh, Sears work shirt. But that was a little thin for me. So I took the military jacket and the gray sweater and yeah. brown pants. And 
just kind of mixed and matched things and until I realized that the only thing that was missing was like a custom mask. Mm-hmm. Um, and so designing the mask was really cool. I did a lot of research on yeah. 60s style era um, and talked to some people at CFX and we designed the ghost hawk as it came known to be known. Um, and it took a few months mm-hmm. and it was just kind of my own personal thing. And this is when it was only going to be a five minute short. We were yeah. like, all right, all the money's going into the mask. Yeah, and then we'll just go out and shoot this small little thing. But at least the costume's cool. How did it change from five um, minutes to an hour? We discovered the abandoned camp. Oh, okay. So that was what happened. We shot it at another location, and then we stumbled upon. Then, as we were shooting at the other location, the people there were like, "You should shoot at the camp." And we said, "What camp? We don't yeah. have any money." And they said, "No, it's abandoned. You don't need any money. Just <laughs> drive up that road and just go shoot there." Yeah. And we found it, and we took it over, and, and we filmed there. Um, and so that was really cool. And, and I can kind of jump into the other question you had yeah. too, which was uh, playing Jason was like, once we found that camp um, and I had already been like sizing up the costume and yeah. like practicing, it really just became about like, how did the costume look on me? How yeah. should I move with the costume? And what are the movements that I do naturally that look good? Yeah. And not necessarily be like, I got to do Kane or I got to do Ted or yeah. I got to do CJ or I got to do Richard. It's like, I just kind of had to do me yeah, okay. and then hit certain poses. So I went back to my animation background. I gotcha. thought about keyframing and key poses, mm-hmm. about how everything in animation comes down to what are the strong key poses within mm-hmm. a piece of animation that make everything flow with it in between. Okay. So we would spend a lot of time of me just in front of camera trying different poses and different posturing. And so whatever I did to make Jason look intimidating, imposing, and just downright like mean, Mm -hmm. we did that. Anything that made Jason feel dumpy or uh, slow or dumb, we didn't do it. And so it was really about finding that thing of like getting him into that Jaws-like mode that when you saw him, he was in shark mode. He has the dark eyes. You can't see under the mask. Yeah, which I like too. I was like, how'd you get, how'd you do that? Was that like CG or no? No. No, I mean, we, there were a couple times that we might have thrown like a little uh, opaque layer over the eyes just mm-hmm. to like kind of take out a reflection. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, I just black out my eyes. Oh, okay. So everything under the mask is just like black skin. Um, okay. We just put uh, like, I don't think what the name of the, the makeup is. It's just like black black skin makeup. Oh, okay. Um, so it's like the same thing you would not, you wouldn't do really the same thing for like if you were playing like outfield or anything like that, mm. but you know, clown makeup, stuff like that, just oh, gotcha. matte black. Yeah. Um, you definitely don't want like glossy. You want something that dries with like no reflectivity. Mm-hmm. Um, when we had more expensive stuff, we'd use alcohol based cause that doesn't, that doesn't wash away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we didn't have the money, we had like the cheaper cream style that, you know, as soon as you started to sweat, <laughs> it all just started <laughs> running. Um, so yeah. And it was like, you know, so that was kind of, uh, yeah what we use there. Um, but it's effective because the way the mask was shaped is that it casts a shadow over the eye and okay. the way that it balanced on your face, it actually was just below the eye. Gotcha. So I would always have to look down. Like ah. the mask is in the right position on the face, but like for where my face is, I have to look down through the eye holes or even sometimes I look up through some of the vent holes in the forehead. Oh, fascinating. Uh, and yeah, cause it's more about where the mask sits on the head rather than like how my view is. Yeah. As long as I can see, it doesn't matter what I'm looking at. It. True. So, like, that, that's kind of the, the point. Is like it, it kind of helps sell that, like, that specific look of Ghost Jason. Mm. Um, so, there, 
Yeah, and so it, it was just a lot of that. And then I worked with uh, Brian Forrest, who was my stunt double. So I wasn't allowed to do everything, and I probably wouldn't have been able to finish the film if I had tried to do everything. Yeah. Um, so Brian stepped in and did a lot of the stunt stuff. Um, when we had intense camera movements and, you know, large, lots, lots of setups, yeah. and I had to be out there just like, you know, basically, <clears throat> and I still do it. I, I direct and I AD at the same time. So yeah. I'm the only one who kind of knows how to guide everybody. So mm. it's just best if I'm behind camera pushing everybody and then Brian can step in for the stuff. That's how like, big was that crew, by the way? Like, I, I, we got upwards of 20 something people. Oh, wow. Set. Yeah. No, we had like, we were able to get a full crew. Once we got fully funded, we went out and found people and mm. full grip, full gas. Um, I saw two I mean, DPs, by the way. Uh, you, had two DP, you had two DPs on there? Yeah, so we had um, the main DP was Christopher Thales. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the one who did most of the um, the traditional camera photography, and JD gotcha. did all of our first person. So, gotcha. you know, after the film was done, I realized that, like, both Chris and JD put in an absorbent amount of time and effort into the project, mm-hmm. um, especially JD, uh, who had literally three days after we finished um, finished filming in August. It was me, JD, and Andrew. We went and shot the final images for the film, a couple pickups. Mm-hmm. In fact, no, we actually shot some pretty substantial stuff. We reshot the entire uh, Hey, It's Day 3 and a beautiful one at that yeah. scene. Uh, with, with that, we, we wanted to get that because of um, we shot it in the fall and everything was brown. Yeah. And then everything we shot after it was in the spring, so everything was green. So the, the sequence really stood out. So yeah. we reshot it, just the three of us. Um, we shot some stuff of him stumbling around at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. we, him going around camp. We actually had to redo the entire, um, redo the entire attic, uh, confessional where okay. he's like, like it's a long drop yeah. because he uh, there was a continuity error on which side the barrel was on by the door. Oh. So we had filmed it previously. And then when we got on set, we had to do the fight scene. We swapped the barrel for a shot. And then we realized that it was, that it was backwards. So it was like, oh, let's go get it and like swap the barrel back. See if make sure nobody sees that. Um, and then, so we did all that. And like, literally, like we finished at night. Like the last thing we shot were the shots at the end of the film where Kyle's stumbling through the forest, bleeding from his stomach. Yeah, and yeah. It's just kind of like the, the ethereal, I'm going to my dream sequence mm-hmm. shot. Um, those are the last things we shot. We came home. Um, and then three days later, I got a call from Andrew who was like, Hey, have you heard from JD? Like lately? And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I was just working with, like, we just worked on the other day. Like we're supposed to do a commercial, blah, blah, blah. He's supposed to get in touch with me. He's like, why? Because they talked all the time. Yeah. They became like best friends. Um, he's like, I haven't heard from him. It's kind of weird. Yeah. I was like, all right. And then a day later we found out that that day JD had, um, was surfing at the beach and had do- like dove into the water mm-hmm. and didn't see a sandbar and dove right into it and broke his neck. Holy um, shit. And became, and became paralyzed. Man, so sucks. he I'm was sorry. rushed to, uh, he was rushed to the hospital. Um, he had to be flown all the way back to Massachusetts where he's originally from as well. My God. So he can be taken care of from his family. He's been back there ever since. Um, he's regained some movement, but he's mostly paralyzed from the shoulders down. Um, and yeah, so we, we try to keep in touch and, yeah. and we really miss him. So this is all while we're trying to wrap up the film. Yeah. Too, wow. That's so a... like, so it was a huge hit to us and we were all devastated. And I thought that it would, it was only fitting because when I really went back and looked at it and, you know, it was JD's GoPro that we were using. Mm-hmm. He was the one who ran the GoPro camera. He came up with a lot of the action sequence camera work. 
Uh, I mean, even though he was operating as like a like a high level lead cam op, yeah. Um, at the end of the day, he did design some of the sequences, and mm. I wanted to give him credit for what he did. Yeah, you know. So I talked to Chris about it, and I said I want to split it. Um, you know, it's like kind of a tribute to JD, since mm. who knows if he'll be able DP anything ever again. Yeah. So this might be his like this might be the credit he gets. Yeah. So, you know, if it's if if this is it, then like we're giving it to him, mm. and he deserves every you know every inch of it because he was such a an integral part of our team mm. and just a good friend, you know, yeah. still a good friend. He's a, all the way on the other side of the country now, but, um, you know, we miss him. And I, I, you know, even now when I'm doing stuff and I'm working out there, it's like, we have a lot of the people that came back from never hike alone. They've stuck around. Yeah. Um, it's good. Always have a good team. team. Yeah, it is. But at the same time, it's like JD was such a huge part of it. And yeah. we, I definitely, I definitely, on, especially while I've been making Never Hike Alone, I've, I mean, Never Hike in the Snow, I've definitely missed his presence. Of, mm-hmm. You know, someone who, you know, he'd just come over the house, he'd just sit down and, and we'd talk shots and we'd design stuff and we'd mm-hmm. just be like, hey, you want to go drive up to the mountains this weekend and just go shoot? Yeah. He's like, yeah, let's just go. What am I not doing anything? Yeah. You know, it was like, you know, so it was always good to have someone like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, and just a good friend and we had a lot of good times and a lot of good laughs on set. Yeah. You know, we'll we'll all wish him the best recovery, and if actually people can really help him out, if you go to jdmartz.com, uh, j j d m a r t z dot com, uh, you can help him out and donate to his recovery. Uh, he's been working on stuff to hopefully be able to walk again, doing a lot of physical training and stuff like that. And it's been he's been doing amazing. I've yeah. seen a lot of the, the videos he's put together. So um, yeah, so if you want to give him some support, we definitely suggest you do that. Yeah, I'll definitely put that in the uh, description, a link to that. Mm-hmm. Appreciate it. No problem. And um, what was the editing process for uh, Never Hike Alone like? How long did it take you to edit the film? You know, Ooh, I mean, how yeah. how uh, long was that original cut, <laughs> and how like what you cut it down to? You know, that whole thing. Uh, no, I mean, I think it always got longer. Yeah, <laughs> we always kept trying to. Um, well, I'm glad you shot enough. <laughs> yeah, no, we shot plenty. We shot more than enough. Yeah. Uh, it was it was it was funny. We we made the first half of the film, mm-hmm. and then. Lawrence and did the first descent of it, um, mm. and he did an amazing job of structuring the entire film. And we had like the massive hole in it, yeah. Um, you know, sequences without music and stuff like that. But he put it together in a place that when I finally saw it, I went, "Oh, it's here! It's <laughs> here! We need to get some stuff, but it's here." Mm-hmm. And I, I see it. I just now it's annoying me that pieces are missing. <laughs> and every week, it would be such a like it's almost like starving yourself in yeah. a way where it's like you got a piece of cheesecake just staring like <laughs> sitting on the counter and you want to eat it, but you can't yet. And then every, and then like, and then the door opens on the weekend, you get to go eat that cheesecake and you gotta go get it and get all your shots. And so it became like, all right, now we're going to get that piece and that part and this part. And like, so it became like, as we had the film built, we were able to go out and know exactly what we needed every week. We went mm. out. Um, eventually, uh, Lawrence became really, really busy. And my ex, Sarah, uh, ended up taking over the, the, the cutting on it. Yeah. And she, we we lived together, so we worked on it every day. And she was actually working on Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, wow. Um, at the time. So she was working full days on Into the Spider-Verse. And I was at home doing everything I could for the film and, you know, you know, working different sets and things like that and bouncing yeah. around. And then we'd come home at night and with what little free time we had, we would cut a sequence. Yeah. And so we're usually cutting like two to three sequences a week. Mm. 
and just inching it along. Um, eventually, it went out to uh, Ryan Perez Dapple for scoring, mm-hmm. where it went, took like a huge leap. Um, Sarah did, did a majority of the sound work mm-hmm. because of playing the motion. We had a huge sound library, so yeah. we were able to pull a lot of really good sound effects. Very nice. Uh, she built a lot of the sound work, and then we brought on someone else to do uh, a final sound pass. And then we were able to mix it actually at at Sony. Wow! Um, we brought it in the same team that did uh, that mixed Blade Runner mix Never Hang Alone. Holy shit! <laughs> yeah, so we got them on like they had like three weeks off. Yeah, so we got them for a day. Holy moly! They literally said, "We'll, we'll throw you a favor. Yeah, you can come in. You can do it." So we mixed the five point one down there. That's why, like, if you if you can get a chance to get a Blu-ray, yeah, and it's like I know everything's li- like the footsteps are loud. Blah blah blah. Listen to it on the 5.1 mix with a subwoofer on a real system, and everything sounds so much better. Sadly, I don't um, have a 5.1 system, but when I get I one, know. Find it. <laughs> like, just find, just, you if you know, can find a way, that's like the best way to watch it. I don't think my uh, – you know, my parents used to have a 5.1 system in their house, but they when they moved out here, they don't have it anymore. So, I mean, I would have I done it. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's all right. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's just like yeah, – it was a lesson learned. It was yeah. like a big opportunity. But then I realized that, like, the opportunity to get into 5.1 and having it done that way kind of shortchanged the fact we couldn't make any changes because yeah. once we got it back, it was done. Uh, uh, we also had a very short process. I mean, I told you we did our last shots in August. Yeah. Well, we debuted in October. Whoa. So we literally had, <laughs> from that moment, to finish. So they finished the color. They yeah. finished everything. Now, we were doing color all summer. Yeah, yeah. And we were doing it as we were shooting. So yeah. we worked with... Uh, uh, Milton Admo and uh, and Greg Emerson, who was our colorist and our post uh, online editor. Oh, okay. um, so yeah, our online editor was Greg. So and so we did a lot of work there. Uh, there was a little bit of VFX that we did, mm-hmm. nothing crazy. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and that was basically it. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think. I mean, uh, we had an assistant editor from. Uh, from Spider-Verse, one mm-hmm. of the kids over there do our titles. I did the main title, the, cool. the, the you know, the block one, yeah. which I mean, where they were simple and then like the Never Hike Alone kind of fade thing. Mm-hmm. I taught myself how to do that in After Effects. <laughs> um, I literally like was trying to hire somebody to do that and in the process of showing them what I wanted done, <laughs> I ended up just doing it myself. I was like, let me just kind of show you an idea of like what I think it should be. Then did you and then stop I ended and, up doing it. And, then you're, like, thinking and about, I was like, like wait, I think I got it. <laughs> You know, I don't need you right now. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, no, what it came down to was like, I got that version of it. And I was like, okay, now imagine where they could go from here. Yeah, yeah. And (laughs) my my wife at the time looked at me and said, how much is it going to cost for those titles? And I was like, I think it's going to be like 500. She was like, yeah, this is good enough. (laughs) You're not spending any more money on this. And so it was like, okay, it was fine. And then we got our our titles from Brent. Um, So there was that. But I mean, really, I mean, and I... I cut maybe three or four sequences myself. Uh, oh, it, so I, I, I cut, um, I cut the trail sequence uh, where you, I cut most of the, the, the trail sequences. Those were, I ended yeah. up doing most of the cutting. Um, and I would cut it and then hand it off to Sarah and she would do it in Avid. So yeah. I would cut in final cut or premiere and yeah. then she would cut in Avid because I wasn't trained up on Avid yeah. as much then she moves so much faster in it than I do. So I would like pull footage together just from like sitting at home and being like, all right, let me just build a quick sequence, mm. a reference sequence. Yeah. And then like just mark my, mark the shots that I take. Mm. And then she would recreate it sometimes. Yeah. Um, but she mostly cut it. I mean, it was mostly like Lawrence's first pass. A lot of that stuff stayed intact. Mm. 
And then eventually Sarah built a lot of the new stuff. I built some of it. And mm. then I would do tweaks when I had to. Yeah. And then it was just, yeah, like us just sitting down polishing it every yeah. single night. And we basically followed the same strategy we did in, uh, in the animation for our, our editing things because we had worked together in that realm too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was just sitting down, sequence by sequence, doing notes, getting them going, looking at the next sequence, getting those notes going. And, you know, eventually, I mean, we, we literally put the film together two days before it premiered. Wow. Um, it that's was a time really crunch. right up to, yeah, it was a big time crunch. And that's why there were some things that were overlooked. Yeah. Um, we almost put up a wrong title. Oh, yeah. Swap that, literally swap oh. that out the last minute. Um, and so, yeah, but I mean, it was just like, we did, we got it, we did get it done on time. Yeah, yeah. We got it done ahead of schedule and we premiered it. And, you know, there are things that like, yeah, you look back and go like, oh, we got a little bit more time, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. I can't really say anything about it because we had the time that we were given. We yeah. Had the, we, we hit the date we said we were going to hit and we got to walk away from it. That's and, always a plus. <laughs> yeah. And so we've learned about that and the new ones. That's why the summer, like we're shooting this now mm-hmm. and I'm not going to release it till October. Gotcha. Are you going <laughs> to work on, are you gonna shoot work never on high, all summer? Are you going to shoot Never High again in the summer? Then too? Not this year. Not this year? Next year. So no, okay. So this is like a hot yeah, take. I'm only working on, I'm only working on. <laughs> never hike in the snow this year and okay. it's going to be in between everything else that i'm doing mm. but now we're going to spend an absorbent amount of time in post yeah so yeah we're going to get those 500 plus dollar titles this time and yeah. we're going to go out we're going to get you know we're going to go out and do like different mixes of the film to see what sounds good on youtube and we're going to do not just a color correction but maybe a color treatment this mm. time and so, and, and push it and like really like our goal with this and with every project. So we did never hike, a, never hike alone. Mm-hmm. We'd made another project called Pathosis and our, our goal with that was to up our production value, which mm-hmm. we did. And now we want to up our production value again, our storytelling value, our, mm-hmm. you know, just our overall aesthetic. We want people to feel like they, yeah, they're on YouTube, yeah. but it feels like they're watching a, a project that they could watch on HBO Go. Yeah. Well. what you guys shoot on, by the way? I was, I was curious yesterday when I was watching it. Uh, we shot on a few different cameras. Okay. Uh, mostly it was a Red Epic. Gotcha, um, yeah. And then we also had a Panasonic Veracam for okay. a lot of the night scenes. So that, that I recommend that camera yeah. a ton. Um, the Red worked as well, too. But we also had an operator mm-hmm. who owned his own Red yeah. and knew how to do everything. Yeah. So because he was trained up and he had all the right things, it made our lives easier. If we were trying to deal with the Red footage other than a lot of harder. Oh, yeah. Um, we also used, uh, we used GoPro Hero 4. Yeah. Uh, phantom dgi phantom professional three okay 4k uh let me think what else we had um we used an osmo oh you did yeah a couple couple scenes we used that um we literally shot we shot with so many cameras our our colors were like what the hell did you do yeah uh we shot with a 5d mark ii oh my gosh you did you a lot of cameras your colors must have been your colors yeah we shot with a sony (laughs) sony f seven okay for some that was jd's camera yeah and then we also shot with a sony a7s2 wow so yeah my, but <laughs> my gosh so when yeah so with the first half of the film we were shooting with a sony a7s2 yeah. so most of the film was shot in that gotcha and then we and then we graduated to the red so mm-hmm. a lot of the back half of the film was shot in the red footage. yeah i, I could um, tell there's like a red i was like all right i'm like there's yeah, different it, cameras the, i'm like there's a feel for what's the red nice is, yeah what's nice is that the film's uh, film, the quality of the film increases yeah. <laughs> as the film goes on as well. So, um, so the production value rises. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so yeah, our, 
Our colorist wanted to kill us. But yeah. um, are you shooting in one camera for never? Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're shooting with a red Gemini. So oh, oh, nice. That's cool. that's wonderful. It's I heard it's got really good low light. Yeah, so we got that. Um, yeah. We my buddy just bought an Ari, so if we wanted an Ari oh cam, we might be able to throw that out there. But I don't <laughs> want to mix the footage. We just yeah. need the one. Um, we'll have that. We'll be using the GoPro again. Mm-hmm. Well, we've incorporated some GoPro shots in the okay. film, which I think will be pretty cool. Um, and yeah, I mean that's basically that. I mean, yeah. we're, we're, we'll be out there with. Um, we're going to shoot handheld. For nice. most of it, okay. uh, we don't need the smooth the smooth stuff. When it does get sexy, we're gonna be on Dana Dolly, just because we run around just enough just enough rails to mm-hmm. like get a nice nice cinematic slide. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we will have a jib, an articulated head jib. Oh, nice. Too. So those are kind of like the tools we'll be using out there. But for the most part, aside from a two, few like special shots, mm-hmm. we'll mostly be handheld, kind of setting it up that way. Yeah. Um, and then when we're not handheld, we'll be on the rails. Nice. Simple, just being able to throw it down. Mm-hmm. Um, that way we can move fast. Yeah. You know, moving the rails around really isn't that hard. Being handheld pretty quick. And then if we time our jibs right, we kind of schedule them in a way mm-hmm. that we can just kind of knock them out back to back to back. We can get the jib set up, shoot our jib shots, get mm-hmm. wrap the jib, get it out of the way, and finish the rest of the scene. Um, so, and we only have a couple of them. You know, we want to do some things with this film yeah. that it's kind of something I've always wanted to do. And we do it a little bit other than never hike alone, mm-hmm. but like the go, I want to, you feel like you're on a ride. Like the, the visuals kind of take you on a ride yeah, and they lead to the next thing. And there's interesting transitions. You know, it, it, it felt like that. Yeah. It did feel like that for me. And I, I have a question too, for you, for the movie, I, maybe it's just me and my eyes. We're just acting funky last night. But like when he goes across the no trespassing sign, did the, I felt like the color shifted to a more gray feeling. Mm-hmm. Well, that, okay, so I wasn't going crazy. Well, yesterday. it was part of like, yeah, no, because what happened was is that 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 place that we shot in, yeah, um, it's actually in Malibu. So yeah. that scene was shot in Malibu on that trail. That's where that exists. Mm-hmm. And we always get this great marine layer. And when we get that marine layer, it is like the perfect mood lighting. Gotcha. Especially for that film. And so that came in during that scene. And it helped it. So there was nice uh-huh. greens and browns in in the grass. Mm-hmm. If you look, there's a nice touching of that yeah but a lot of the a lot of the branches that like reach over the scene yeah. are pale and yeah. twisted and so it's covered in that and then we had the nice gray sky yeah and so it did create kind of that and then we shut go into a drone shot mm-hmm. that has like fog moving in which yeah. is nice um i think that's it's the shot we crane up we see him walking through the thing mm-hmm. and then you fly over and you see the drone where you drone over like the, the foggy forest. We yeah. come into that scene, it gets dark, he steps into that thing. And yeah, we wanted to feel like he was crossing a supernatural threshold. Yeah. That this is a place that like is haunted and he's about to step into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Nice. So any other plans besides uh this never uh oh my god, I'm blown. I just blinked down in the movie because <laughs> we're talking about never hike alone. Them never. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Wow, I'm terrible right now. I'm so sorry because I'm also thinking of the never, never, never hike in the snow. Never hike in the snow. I'm like, it's never hike in the snow, right? I'm like thinking in my head the whole time because I'm also yeah. thinking about like never um, hike again. <laughs> yeah, uh, then, yeah. Then there's never hike again afterwards, yeah. too. which is the hot uh, take, by the way. You're like giving out the hot take right now, like telling people never, about never hike again. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean we we. We obviously have that in the work. Yeah. Um, we're going to have to take it one film at a time yep. be really careful with it. You know, obviously that, that, but you know, I've had other opportunities pop yeah. up. Um, 
you know, I, I'm working on a film right now called Kindness of Strangers, which mm. should be my directorial debut on nice. like a bigger scale. Congratulations. Um, like an actual, like, coming in. I've been signed to that project. We've been working on that. In fact, I have a, uh, a meeting on on Wednesday for mm. that. Um, and then, what else? Uh, I wrote a script called Ghost Chicken, which is an original short. Which okay. just won a script competition at, uh, at Reels of the Dead this weekend in nice. Atlanta. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's original stuff that I want to get done. Mm-hmm. I have a few other ideas. I'm working on other French projects. I'm working on something called Jason Rising, okay. which is another Friday the 13th fan film out of Portland. I'm working on something called Dylan's New Nightmare, which is a uh, Nightmare on Elm Street fan film, uh, which is a sequel to uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Basically, yep. Miko Hughes, who played uh, young Dylan Porter in that film, is returning to reprise his role wow. as adult Dylan Porter. Uh, so dealing with Freddy, living in the real world uh, 25 years later, uh, it's a really cool concept yeah. and project we're working out there. Um, I was involved with a project called 13 Fanboy, which is being directed by Deborah Voorhees. It's basically Scream meets Friday the 13th, about okay. a crazed fan who seeks out the alumni of Friday the 13th and kills them for some weird act of revenge. Hopefully you get Kevin um, Bacon for the film. Not, Kevin Bacon's not in the film, but it does have C.J. Graham and Kane Hodder, okay. uh, Jennifer Banco, uh, Lar Park Lincoln, Judy Ronson, Corey Feldman. Oh, wow. Um, Ron Sloan, Dee Wallace. It's got uh, the whole kit caboodle. Yeah, no, there's, there's, I mean, Deb Voorhees is in it herself. She played Tina in part five. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so there's lots of cameos, lots of people stopping yeah. in to, you know, to kind of do their thing. And we, we had a lot of fun. I actually had an acting role in that film, so that oh, was cool. a lot of fun. Um, yeah, so I've had a lot of opportunities to do things mm-hmm. other than Never Hike Alone. It's just yeah. that. You know, hey, Never Hike Alone is everyone's favorite, and I get yeah. it. Uh, you know, I made I made another film called Imagine. It's a short film that's playing on our YouTube channel. Okay. Um, I worked with Ben Meredith, one of our DPs, on a project called uh, Last Broadcast, which was a cool. We had to try out the um, the Sony Venice camera. Oh, nice! Before it got released like to the public, loved it. Yeah, I really loved. Yeah, in fact, that was the only camera since the Vericam that I've been like, oh, I could really like. Mm-hmm. I would love to own one of these. Yeah. Um, very easy to use. Really love the, we shot three films in three days on it. Oh, wow. Um, using all the different aspect ratios. So we used the uh, uh, typical 16 by 9, 10, you know, 1920 mm-hmm. uh, type aspect ratio to, yeah. you know, 239. Um, then Ben shot, I think, 177, like super anamorphic wide. Oh, wow. And then I shot 3-2 IMAX which was cool. So mm-hmm. like we all had it and we had different lenses and like it was, it was one of the first times I got a chance to like test out a package. Wow. So it was real cool. Have you looked um, at the FX nine, by the way, I heard that's comparable to the Venice. I have not. I'm, I mean, I'm not as much as a camera nerd as anyone else. Mm-hmm. My DPs who get these opportunities. Yeah. I just look at it as like, how is it to work with as a director? And gotcha. by that, I mean like, am I waiting on camera? Or am I not? Understandable. I found that. Yeah. And so I think with me, like, you know, with the Venice, um, and the Venice and the Vercam, and even the Red when when Evan's running it, Evan mm. Buckdar VP, I'm never waiting. It's it's ready to go. Yeah. Like, and that's that's all I care about. You know, when I when we were working with the smaller, you know, when you work with DSLRs, there's a lot more wires hanging off. There's less things that are more secure. Like, you know, you have your SDI cables on on the major camera, so you don't have to worry about it. Like somebody coming by and pulling your HDMI cord out. You know what I mean? Or stepping on your HDMI cord and it comes out automatically. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and so Where's I found picture? myself, when, yeah, when we were, when we had no money and we were shooting with a Sony a7 II, which yeah. has a beautiful picture. Yeah. Great for documentaries. 
um, trying to shoot an action movie with it. It's yeah. kind of tough. Yeah, no, um, definitely. But it shoots with great low light, right? The eight, seven, oh, that, that's the reason why we, we chose yeah. it. I think it shoots 2,500 uh, ISO. Yeah. Um, and uh, the Barricam does five. Oh, wow. So we did 5K ISO native. We were able to shoot with the Varicam. A lot of the night stuff, yeah. I mean, and that Varicam, I think, is dual ISO, too, which adds like an mm-hmm. extra dimension to it as well. Yep. Yep. So it was, it, that, it's a really badass camera. Yeah. In fact, we used a Varicam on uh, 13 Fanboy recently. Okay. The same Varicam we used to shoot Never Hike Alone, we shot 13 Fanboy. Nice. So we thought that was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I like to nerd out about the gear sometimes, but mm-hmm. I kind of let my department heads nerd out about yeah. it. And then I just kind of go, what am I using? <laughs> oh, and I always, I always recognize a camera by like how much of a pain in the ass it is for me. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> so I, I like it. a camera that I like, when I see a camera that I'm like, oh, it's you. Good. I know we're moving well today. <laughs> or it's like something that's a little bit more like intricate. I'm like, ah, right. all right, we're going to have to be waiting for this thing all day. Um, and so, yeah, so it's just, it's kind of like depending on what they, but then it also has to do with your crew and yeah. things like that. We've, you know, we've got a bigger crew obviously since mm-hmm. then and we have more experience and we've gotten over it though the newbie humps, I guess yeah. you could say, and to, to really kind of find our own. And yeah, it's just nice. It's nice mm-hmm. after like, you know, having a good rookie debut type thing yeah. and now having a couple seasons under my belt on the indie circuit, making a few other yeah, yeah. shorts and things like that. Now being able to approach a second Never Hike Alone film. Yeah. I mean, well, we did also do the Disappear music video. I don't know if you know about that. I did not. Um, I, I'm sorry. I did not see that. No, it's okay. But we did a music video uh, that's based in Never Hike Alone called Disappear. I- so okay. four minutes we used it to announce the never hike in the snow project but oh, okay um it was a nice kind of like taking the car out for a spin type thing mm-hmm. like i hadn't been in the never in, in the jason costume in a long time I hadn't yeah. filmed anything in the jason costume in a long time and so we got to shoot it last august and it just felt good to like take it out for a spin i shot yeah. it with ben uh who i mentioned before and renee mm-hmm. revis who's, who's out of uh flagstaff arizona where we shoot some of our material mm-hmm. um and Renee is also a DP on the Dylan's New Nightmare Project. Uh, so it's cool. It's, it's like we have a nice community of independent filmmakers in the Southwest region, um, you know, California, Arizona, New Mexico, where, we, you know, we shot 13 Fanboy in New Mexico and the Adoso. Nice. So it's cool. We've kind of taken over the, this little southern part of the country. It's got a, it's a nice independent circuit out here um mm-hmm. we got friends in vegas who shoot out there like drew maverick yeah um and then we got friends across the, the country who are more like the east coast mm-hmm. uh, in chicago like tony wash is yeah. out of chicago or mike lombardo who's in, i think the carolinas is like kind of that area yeah um you know people who are like the more atlantic area i think jason zink is out of the atlantic kind of area mm-hmm. um so there's different filmmakers all over the country yeah uh, you know brooklyn hewing is out of the ohio area let me ask you about uh, that too. Yeah. Um, uh, about the usually the second second part of the interview or second half of the interview, it's not about the journey, but about the community, about like what are the strengths and weaknesses in your community, and what can you do to get to the next level or, or your community to get to the next level. So let me ask you that. Um, yeah, no, it's different. I think right now it's like the struggles is, is funding. Yeah, it always is. So that's you know the weakness. I mean? Like who can get money? Yeah, the yeah. weakness is we, none of us can get money. Yeah, you know I'm the only one who can get money, but I can only do it with a hockey mask on my yeah. stuff. Like every time I've tried to like raise money for something independent or original, nobody, you know, really wants to give the same same amount of backing. Yeah. So, you know, I think if we got a little bit more, if we got people to trust the crowdfunding to see that, like, listen, like, you know, especially with long stop films, and yeah. I think a lot of these other other teams, like. 
whether it's, you know, it doesn't have to be a fan film for you to back it. Mm-hmm. And we've been pretty good about fulfilling everything that we said we do when we've made our projects. So you should back us and get some cool stuff because we make some cool merch for yeah. this stuff, you know, horror themed anyway. You do you know. think? Do you think? <coughs> let me ask. Uh, the reason why people back up the fan films is because they know the IP, and they don't really. I mean, they probably believe in you as a filmmaker because they've seen your work at doing this IP. But because it's something new and different, they're afraid of that. Um, no, I just think that well, yeah, people are just more motivated because they 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 like what they like. Okay. Um, and you know, the other project that we made was not a Friday the Thirteenth film at all. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It was it was a ghost story. Um, I mean, it's not even really a ghost story. It's a story about mental health and, mm. you know, seeing things and schizophrenia. So it's yeah. much different. Uh, it's a much different tale. And, you know, Ghost Chicken's a horror comedy. Yeah. So who knows what happens if I try to do with that? You know, it's, it's just completely different. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that NHA has helped us um, get more independent people. People will back us at that mm-hmm. level who wouldn't have before if they didn't know who we were. And I think a lot of other people have gone out and made films that have like earned them um, notoriety. Yeah. You know, some of the films I mentioned before, like uh, <clears throat> like Tony's like has skeletons in the closet, which has made his way to wear, way around and high in the hog, which mm-hmm. is one of the big class films. Um, you know, you hear the films like, you know, Dreaming of a White Doomsday, Mike's film that's yeah. got him some notoriety. Uh, people probably heard of like Straight Edge Kegger or She Was So Pretty. Um, Jason and Brooklyn's films, mm. um, you know, Michelle and Duando, I, I probably butchered her name there, but she did live screen, which is a really great, like if you're somebody who likes to watch video game streams, okay. great, great, uh, horror film built around that. Oh, wow. Cool. Uh, great, strong performance by somebody who had to carry it on the, on their own. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of other films I've seen, other filmmakers. I mean, Drew Maverick, if you ever watched, um, I've seen the cool trailer. Party I've seen the trailer cool for Party Massacre. Yeah. I've seen the trailer for, I haven't seen the movie, uh, for it yet. Yeah. So there's lots of indie people out there who have done a lot with very not much money. I mean, everybody's mostly made their films for under 20, yeah. mostly under 40. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think for us, it, I, I would love to see our group. You know, Renee has made a few fan films. Mm-hmm. You know, he did Spirit of Haddonfield. He just made another short film called The Tent. He wants to do an anthology. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think some of us have the itch to kind of get together and do anthologies together. That yeah. would be fun. I think um, anthologies are a way to go too because it kind of like it brings everyone showcase. together. Yeah, yeah, it's a showcase. Yeah, and, you know, you really you don't really have to spend much money. And I no. think if you use the right ideas and you get the right filmmakers, you can do special things. And, and if you do it correctly too, you can have a nice like uh you know nice whole storyline and the whole overall arcing thing too. Yeah, I mean, you really, I mean, with with anthologies, it's really selling kind of the the shtick. Yeah, I guess you could say like VHS. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like yeah, they didn't really didn't really market the stories of within the films of there. They just marketed as VHS anthology films. Come see the, come see the rising stars in horror. Yeah. And I think anytime you watch a horror film or anthology movie, you know, you're getting three or four different types of perspectives from different filmmakers. Um, so you're going to get different films and some of them you're going to like, some of them you're not going to like, but it's a cool smorgasbord. It's like a really strong short segment at a, at a festival. And I, you know, it's funny because I've been to a lot of festivals. I've seen a lot of short blocks that are really tough to sit through because yeah. different film festivals are at different levels. And I think that some film festivals do the right thing. Yeah. They bring in some, some films that probably could use some work. <laughs> we'll yeah, put it that way. I, I mean, but you I know what? A, it's, yeah, go ahead. I have like a whole thing about film festivals where I'm like, kind of like anti film festivals a little bit in a sense, because I, I mean, in here in Vegas, I think there's too many 
film festivals. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah, also, yeah, and I think also too, like, you know, to push yourself as a filmmaker, I think you said, you said kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, like, you know, you go getting, meeting people from all over. These people are bringing film festivals to, you know, California and stuff like that. Bigger cities are like even getting your name out there in Ohio, just getting your film out there in Ohio. People in Ohio are seeing it. And then my other regret yeah. with film festivals too is like the whole, which I found out yesterday is about world premiere stuff where you can't put it on YouTube and like show people mm-hmm. where like only maybe only, you know, a hundred people are in this theater and how is the world premiere if only a hundred people are seeing it, you know? Yeah, but I mean, it, it's kind of, you work your own deals. You kind yeah. of figure out your own way. Yeah, it, but it, I think. Yeah. And I didn't know that. So I'm learning, I'm learning more about the film festival, a little bit more yeah, about film no, festivals. They can, they can, you, it depends on what you, you again, it's, it's setting your expectations yeah. for, for what you're doing when, when you go to these film festivals and like what I was going to say kind of like on that point was that like sometimes it's nice that a film festival bring in things that mm. really aren't quite there yet they're not completed ideas yeah. or they're not, like someone's still working on their craft but you yeah. know what they got accepted and it made them feel pretty good mm-hmm. and then they saw their movie up against people who've been doing it longer and yeah. if you go to the right festival you're going to go there you're going to see your film you're going to think oh I did real great yeah. and then you're going to watch everybody else and you go holy crap I'm a hack yeah. And but or you're going to think you're, you're not a hack and everyone else's movie sucks. Well, too. yeah, I mean, there's, there's <laughs> that. I mean, sometimes you watch a film and you're like, oh, God, at least I'm not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it's like, I have been that bad. Yeah. Or, you know, I, I haven't been the best. I mm-hmm. haven't had something that, like, everybody was raving about. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I've had the experience. It's really nice. But at the same time, like, I've been to other festivals with other projects that, like, we weren't the main attraction. Somebody yeah. else was. And for the right reasons. And it's like, when you meet those people, they inspire you to. Try harder. They do things in the films that you didn't think of, or they executed it better than you do. And if you study that and you use that as a motivation to get yourself to get better, not in a way to like stick it to anybody, but to be like, hey, I learned from one of my peers. One of my peers helped me through their artwork, helped me become a better artist. And I think that you find the the film festivals that put the artistry first above everything else. Like everyone's there to be an artist. And yeah. everyone is there to be a filmmaker, not to be a film, like turn up my nose filmmaker, but everyone's there to like create and yeah. share story and just tell. And like, we all have our interesting ways and everybody mm. tells story differently. Yeah. And it's not about production value. Mm. It's not about like who shot with the most expensive camera or yep. who has the most effects or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Because some of the best movies I've seen have dog shit yeah. production value and stupid looking effects, but they overcome it because the filmmakers have a voice. And I yes. think we go to film we go to film festivals to show our product so we can see if we're developing our voice. Gotcha. And that's where and then we can get better. And it's like mm. the more you can hone in your voice, the other stuff will come. But the voice is the one that cannot be distinguished. It's the mm. intangible. It's how you tell it's the perspective in which you tell story from. Yeah. And basically determines how everything is going to be done on your film and how people are going to receive it. Yeah. And you know, everybody's voice is received differently and it's going out there and finding your audience and finding the people that like you fit in with. Mm-hmm. And then you understand, okay, this is who I'm making my movie for. I'm making my movie for myself, but I also know who my audience is and I know how to entertain them because we're both, on, we both want to watch the same movie. Yeah. So how do I make something that's going to entertain these people? Specifically with Never Hike Alone, how do I entertain Friday the 13th fans who have seen it all? Before? Yeah. And how do I do it with much less than every other Friday the 13th film has ever had? So it was, you know, it was through my filmmaking voice that I was able to, you know, come up with a story. Yeah. Things that like, that even though it's not all there in the dialogue, it's not all there, like 
evident that like everything in that film has a story to it and because it does mm. it carries a certain weight on film and kind of brings apart my style yeah gotcha yeah and any well we were talking about the strengths any more strengths as well uh in what way in in the in the that you see that you know in the community oh strength in the community yeah. I, mean, I think right now it's been very positive um you know, aside from us all struggling to get funding, we yeah. all manage to find our ways. And I think that, like, the festival circuit, the the festivals that are really doing it right are standing kind of head and shoulders above the rest. Mm. And there's some smaller ones that are making their way and figuring yeah. their way out. And they have good intentions. And yeah. they're still kind of getting there. But there's enough festivals out there that are reachable for, like, if you put together a, a decently produced and directed and acted film, that you know you're going to have an opportunity to go meet some of the people yeah. who are you know on their way to becoming professional filmmakers, mm. um, and even the people who are going to be lifelong independent filmmakers, the people who've been doing it, where like these are the people you want to meet. These yeah. are the people that are so like you that um, it's nice. It's nice to be able to talk, especially outside LA, because yeah. in LA everyone's just like trying to rip each other's throats out all the time. I'm very fortunate to have met a group of people that are really cool and like really down, but like. Yeah. Don't get us wrong. We're from LA too. So like we know how to get our claws out when we have to yeah, get yeah. something done. So it's like, it's kind of built up a good, good skin. Mm. Um, when we have to face off against somebody else who like, you know, we've had it. Like yeah. people look down on fan films. They go, Oh, well, you made a Friday the 13th fan film. Good for you. Mm. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, that's when we kind of go like, yeah, well, you know what? It's better than your original piece of shit. So, <laughs> the claws <laughs> like, are out. <laughs> but, you know, no, well, yeah, yeah. we'll come right. Like, yeah. we'll like, like, you know, just give it right back. I yeah. think you got to have a tough skin and people are going to be critics. But yeah. like I said, I haven't run into much of that. Well, that's when, good. I ha when I, when I do run into it, yeah. like, yeah, I don't care. I'll talk. You want to talk crap? Like I'm from New England. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you had that. You had tough skin already. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like I'm, I'm. I got like five jokes locked and loaded. Yeah. Like, don't even. Don't even go after me right now. But, um, <laughs> but I think like you know like this last you know this last con or the last couple of cons I've been to it's like uh, that Tony from uh, from Scotchworthy Productions. He also yeah. runs World of Death or Bloody Disgusting. You know, we do no bullshit roundtables for mm. filmmakers. We get to sit down with up and coming filmmakers who, who have either only made the backyard film or haven't made anything at all and have yeah. real conversations about getting stuff done. And we've also had some really great filmmakers on the panels. Um, it's like a roundtable, it's real nice. Mm. Um, talk about like experiences that they had producers, directors, yeah. you know, people who have made films have got into festivals, have won awards, and just tell the horror stories of what they had <laughs> to do to get there. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's like a support group, really, is what it is. It's I mean, like it a like filmmakers anonymous. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's like, hi, my name's Vinny, and I make films. <laughs> I can't stop. Um, yes, I spend my entire weekend like <laughs> everyone just says hi, props. hi, Vinny. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, it really is. I mean, I I really got to talk to Tony about this. We should call it filmmakers anonymous. Yeah. <laughs> that would actually be really good for. You're welcome, I guess. Like, like, <laughs> and you know it's. I think anyone who's ever watched the behind the scenes uh, documentary, um, I suggest you do. It's on our YouTube channel. It's yeah. also on our Blu-ray. I started watching available. it last night, but I was like, it was 12 o'clock by the time I started, like I almost was starting watching it. So I was like, Oh, I need to go to bed and have work at 4am. So I'm like, shit. And then by the time well, I got home today, I was like, I was going to watch it during work. Like while I was on like some downtime, but I didn't have any downtime today. So I was like, shit. 
That's nah, all right. Watch it when you get home. I, I won't spoil it for you then. But I, I started there's, watching there's, it, so I kind of knew some answers. I kind of was like, like you mentioned the uh, Friday Thirteenth thing, walking around the movie th- uh, movie uh, yeah. video store. I'm sorry, yeah. and like you were seeing no, the yeah. cover art and all that stuff, which I'm like, yeah, that, I'm like it. It kind of clicked with me because I I did the same thing as a child too, walking around those movie uh, those video rental places, just looking at cover arts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, it, but it was um, what was I what was I going on? Sorry, I cut you off on that one. No, it's all right. I, I'm just trying to. You're talking uh, about the uh, behind the scenes, the blue on the Blu-ray. Oh yeah. So on the behind the scenes, there's a uh, Ben Meredith. Uh, one of the the Camelot tells a great mm-hmm. story. It's kind of like I won't tell his story, but it's basically like a lot of the times we go through hell mm-hmm. on these films to get them done. We have to come over yeah. overcome so many different things, and then you get through it and you get to the other side, and you're like, ah, when can I? Uh, when we go film something again, you know, <laughs> what do we want to work on now? Like, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? It's almost like we're masochists. Yeah. Like we can't help it. Like we, you know, we cry through the whole process because it's just like, you know, you see it as a, are you getting your vision? Are you not getting mm. your vision? Are you failing miserably? Everybody around you, Yeah, you should quit the business and then going to like, Oh, I'm a genius. Yeah. Like I did it. <laughs> I mean, it's like we, it's the fluctuating like feeling of being a filmmaker. And yeah. sometimes you feel like you're on top of the world and other times you feel like you're under it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think that like right now, one thing that, that, that's been really positive is I felt that the more filmmakers I've met yeah, and the more time I've spent on the indie circuit, the more it, it has helped me mm-hmm. cope with, you know, the ups and downs of, of filmmaking. Yeah. I mean, I really used to get really depressed about it. I used to get really worried about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my anxiety to the roof with every project I was doing. And, you know, after doing it a little bit more and calming down, it's like, you know, I'm less afraid of it. I kind of welcome it. Yeah. Like, I know that I'm about to like get on the wave and like the wave's going to dictate where we go. Mm-hmm. And it's not my job to tell the wave where to go. It's just my job to surf it. Yeah. So I like that. Know, yeah. And, and that's, and that's really how you got to take most things in life. It's like mm-hmm. we, we try to create perfect things in our head. Yeah. But life's not perfect. And like I said, the minute you step on set, there's a million things working against mm-hmm. you. So you know, it's just, you just got to keep your balance and stay on your feet. Yeah. You just expect that it's going to get rocky and, you know, just in that meantime, be smart, be creative, have fun yeah. and, you know, celebrate, you know, when you get good shots, celebrate, like yeah. keep people happy, keep people focused, like don't ever get relaxed, but mm-hmm. stay on yourself and be like, how do we move to the next one? We're going to get better and better and better. Yeah. And, you know, if you keep that mentality on set, everyone keeps a positive mindset. Everyone mm-hmm. has good communication and, you know, that's really like. That's when everybody has fun. Yeah, I mean that's I mean I, I agree I totally agree with that. And uh, we're getting to the last two questions for you. The last second to last question is what is that last nugget of information that last bit of advice you want to give to the people listening to the podcast? I mean, I always kind of get like the same mm. the same nugget of information, which is no matter what, it's the only thing you can do to fail is give up. Mm-hmm. Just expect that you know it's coming your way yeah. and. Don't give up. Like, even if a project has to come to a full standstill and, like, it probably means you got to start from scratch all over again. Yeah. Well, you know what? Next time you go through it, at least you've been through it a little bit and you get some experience. And move on. And be okay with the fact that everyone fails. Like, if people look at Never Hike Alone and think that now I'm this out or the other thing. Well, I started off by, like, completely bombing my first project mm. and crashing into the mountain. I've been on projects. Like, I, you know, I was hired to run a project and I... You had to fly into the mountain and fire everybody. Um, so, I mean, I've, I've failed a ton in my, in my lifetime and yeah. 
it's through the failure that I've learned the most and that I've healed and I've moved on and it's made my skin tougher so that when things get harder now, I really, it's like, what do I have to fear? I failed before. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not going to be that bad, but guess what? It's not as bad as it was before because I know how to fix it. Yeah. And so I think that like, you just got to kind of, a good friend of mine once said, you know, adventures are never fun while they're happening. They're mm-hmm. only fun when you look back at them. Yeah. And I think if you keep your eye on the prize and you realize, all right, if I, you know, keep my, it's the same thing when you're working out or you put time in anything. Like, yeah, I might have my love handles right now, but if I keep doing sit-ups for the next, you know, six weeks, mm-hmm. they'll kind of go away. <laughs> kind of. But at least they're not as there as they were before. And I think in the same thing with film, it's like if I keep putting my head down mm-hmm. and I keep fighting through all the BS, at some point, I'll be standing on a stage saying, hi, everyone. Thank you for coming out. Here's my movie. Yeah. And that feeling of looking down into an audience and seeing your cast and crew and seeing the people that you go through all those experience with mm-hmm. and you sit down and you watch it together for the first time, there's no feeling like it. I, I, I can't explain it. It's yeah. just, you know, it's that feeling of camaraderie. It's every time you make a film, it's like going to a new school and graduating all yeah. at once. Um, it's ma- it's a really a magical be- moment, like honestly. It really is. And yeah. you know, no matter how big or small, rather whether it be a short that you've completed or a full-length feature, mm-hmm. You know, it's those moments that you spent with somebody out in the middle of nowhere shooting some weird-ass idea that you've had mm-hmm. um, and trying to make it look as good as possible and have <laughs> weird conversations the entire time you're there. Yeah. And um, and you have those memories. And yeah. so, you know, everybody that worked on Never Hike Alone, I'll never forget that. You know, yeah. each, you know, each person on Never Hike Alone, I'd say we at least shared one or two, if not a ton more. Like me and Andrew probably have like a thousand. Yeah. But like memories that like will stay with me until the end of time. And, mm-hmm. you know, if I have the opportunity to make you know, high budget films or even like decently budgeted independent films and doing that. Yeah. I'm, I will never forget what Never Hike Alone did for me on, you know, so many different levels. Mm-hmm. Now, last question is what is your social, what is your social media? Uh, it's Womp Stomp Films, W-O-M-P-S-T-O-M-P-F-I-L-M-F. Uh, mm-hmm. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Um, if you go to www.wompstompfilms.com, you get links to everything. We're on Indiegogo right now, finishing. Mm-hmm. Actually, by the time this comes out, I don't know, double check. Maybe we're still up. But okay. we did have Indiegogo. But you can email us at wompstompfilms at gmail.com if you're like, hey, I'd really love a Never Hike Alone Blu-ray. Yeah. Do you have any more of those shirts? Do you got any posters? Uh, we're usually pretty good at finding stuff for people and getting it printed and send it out to you. We have a nice little system. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so just hit me up. And yeah. if you want something, I'll get it to you. Okay, great. And I mean, seriously, you might be on that on-demand thing or in-demand Indiegogo by the time this comes out, too, so you might be still getting funding. <clears throat> well, we're in-demand at the moment. Oh, you are? Okay. Uh, I think I might be ending it on March 3rd. Okay, 13th. gotcha. Um, that because we'll be done with filming by then, mm-hmm. and then if I do another crowdfund, I want to start fresh. Gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha. And the more I keep crowdfunding, there's a... Um, so if anyone wants to learn about the thing about crowdfunding real quick, yeah, yeah. is that, yeah, you get your money, no matter how much you do, but there's also a contingency that they'll hold on to. And until you end your campaign, say you're in demand, mm. uh, like I got four grand sitting in my contingency right now that oh, I can wow. really use for posts. So if, the quicker I end my campaign, the quicker I get that that contingency, the longer yeah. I let it go. The, it's always three months out that they send that to you. So if I end it in March, by the time, you know, what, April, May, June, June mm-hmm. rolls around, that's going to be the perfect time to be like, okay, we're ready to pay composer. Ready to pay, oh, wow. You know, that stuff because editing will be doing in-house. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but all the other stuff that we'll be ready to do, I'll be able to kind of pay all my post departments and um, 
and finish it off over the summer and give them, you know, what's nice is that you give your, your you know, you pay them a certain amount of money, mm-hmm. but then you say, but you got, you know, eight weeks to do it. Yeah. So you got plenty of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can fine tooth comb it and you can squeeze this in between other projects. Yeah. Um, it's a really good way to kind of do it. And like, yeah, another piece of information, don't skimp on posts and don't skimp on sound. Yeah. <laughs> you want to get, you want to get to that next level right away. Yeah. Put down that camera and those expensive lenses and get up and get somebody who's like a real ass boom operator. Yes. And get some people with some real lobs and some, you know, that's, I mean, someone mentioned this a long time on the podcast that like, uh, basically the first movie you ever make, like it, like independent film student, whatever it is, your sound's going to suck. And you're going to learn the hard way of how sound should be for your first, yeah. like first film. I know we always say it. And then like sound always ends up being the lowest thing on the budget. Yeah. But like, no, it's nice. I think it's like the, the, the key is mm-hmm. find yourself a good sound person. Yeah. Once you find yourself a good sound person, you'll never worry about sound ever again. And then mm-hmm. find a good sound mixer and editor. Yeah. And there's just, there's a thousand out there. Um, you just got to look. Mm-hmm. So just find them and, and pay them. Yeah. <laughs> nobody, nobody can pay rent and exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want somebody to do it for free, well, you better have something you can offer in return. Yeah. Uh, favors and things of that nature. There's uh, only so much someone can put the free into so freelance. Always think about that. Nobody. Yeah. I mean, it's the thing you gotta, you just gotta remember that people are trying to make a living doing this. Mm-hmm. And if there's anything you can't afford, and you don't have the opportunity to do it, well, you either have to take it for what it is and that's what you got. Yeah. Or you can teach yourself how to do it. Yeah. You know, that's true. a great way to, that's a great way to become a better filmmaker is teach yourself new skill. True facts. True facts. That is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you, Ben, by the way, uh, for being on the podcast and thank you guys for listening and remember to subscribe to the podcast. We are on Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast. Uh, what else? TuneIn Radio, I believe. Yeah, TuneIn Radio uh, is another one. Um, we're on almost everything you can think of, basically. We're not on luminaries. I'm sorry, everyone. We're, so don't worry about that. Also, you know, if you hope, I, also, guys, if you're listening, I hope you're getting information and, like, you know, really getting something out of these podcasts. I think everyone's telling a great story. Everyone's giving great information. And I hope you guys are taking away some great information from these great speakers and great filmmakers that we're interviewing on this show. Again, guys, I can't do this without the love and support of you guys. You are my hashtag frame chaser. Welcome to the hashtag frame chaser family, Vin. You are now a member. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to be a part of it. <laughs> yes. And it was a pleasure uh, talking to you and getting to know you. Again, thank you so much. Can't, can't I will never stop thanking you. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's a pleasure. I'm always happy to, I'm actually, you know, it always makes me really happy to come and talk about filmmaking. Yeah. You know, often I, I come on podcasts, I talk a lot about Friday the 13th yeah. or, you know, I think kind of the hot button topic issue mm-hmm. on, on the circuit for the last couple of years is yeah. inequality. And, and those are very important issues. But mm-hmm. like coming down to the nerd side of it all, yeah. like I really just love talking about the art form. I yeah. love talking about the technique and procedure and, and just getting it done. It's, it's really something that, that I love talking about. So any opportunity I have to do that is really, uh, you know, I'm really grateful for it. So thank you for, for allowing me to come upon your uh your podcast and, and contribute. Yes. And I, I got a shout out to George Elias, by the way, who's the man who actually oh, yeah. told me to reach out to <clears> you. <throat> and, you know, I was like, so thank you, George. If you're listening, I, I appreciate yeah. you a hundred. Shout out to George. He's got me, um, he had me, I don't know if he released it yet. I'm, I'm looking for it. I gotta, or I gotta go back. He's doing a documentary that he, he interviewed me. Oh, the constructing fun. sin one. Yeah. I'm in that too. It's okay. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So I'm looking forward to it. So I'll see you in that one. Yeah. Uh, if you see, did you see the trailer? Uh, I haven't yet. He sent okay. it to me, but then he got like when it gets sent to me in like uh, 
in my email. I mean, it's, it's not my email. It gets like sucked up in all the messages. So I, I, I gotta go I'm the guy it. with a really bad accent. Like the really, all right, like, I'll, I'll check it out. Yeah, yeah. I'll ask George for another link. <laughs> so again, guys, uh, thank you again. Thank you, Vin, again. And have a great day. Have a great week. Have a great month. Have a great year. We'll hopefully catch you next time on Chasing the Frame, which is every Wednesday. So again, guys, have a great day. Peace.